Remember guys, if, if the lady doesn't soften up to you on the first try, publicly threaten to kill yourself until she budgets. Works every time. Works every time. If it doesn't, you know, steal the passport. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's another day, another weekend, it's another Flick Lab episode. Welcome aboard, everyone. It's gonna be the, the fast train to, well, pretty boring. Ooh, already setting the mood here. <laughs> I, I may not be exactly on, on my finest today in today's episode. Oh, oh boy, what happened? Uh, well, precisely this episode. Like <laughs> it, today in in this disease ridden podcast, we have been watching five romantic comedies from the Philippines. Well, <laughs> shit, uh, we haven't been watching. As far as I remember, I, have we watched any romantic comedies? Can't recall. Uh, not not pure romantic comedies. No. Yeah. For a good reason. Well, we have done five now for this episode, so we've been fixing it this a bit, a little bit. Yeah, we also finally visited Philippines, so now we can also cross the country out of the list. Yeah. <laughs> and never go back there again. Oh, <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> anyway, kumusta po? Welcome to the Flick Lab po. My name is Karipo. It's the magic of the Filipino language or Tagalog language. If you add the po at the end of the sentence, you make yourself more polite. So this is the normal way of speaking. So, go sexy, go sexy, go sexy, sexy, love, Bo. Sorry, Bo. <laughs> what, what film did have that? That, <laughs> that, that was the, she stayed in the gangster while, while she's the oh, yeah. cheerleader. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> was that a new definition of cringeworthy? It, it was. It was. Like, I, I have dropped cringeworthy previously on this podcast we we have and on occasion when i have been dropping it there has been kind of a difficulty to define what exactly in this film was cringeworthy but when it comes to she's dating the gangster that most definitely is the definition <laughs> a little bit about i guess the differences between the filipino films or the cinema and comparing it for example to south korean or the japanese or the chinese cinema well, let's put it this way. In Filipino movies, it's okay for women to fart. I mean, it, it's okay for all the sexes to, to fart, but in, in Filipino movies, you can do this. It's okay for everyone to be disorganized, unglamorous. I, I also can't exactly say how much that holds true for the Filipino cinema either. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, these are romantic comedies. The, the, yeah, that does factor in, but... Even even with these films, like you mentioned the farting, and that is something that does does happen, happen in these films. So we we can at least credit these films that much. Kind of a natural ventilation. I I, I don't know this disgustingness ventilation, something not exactly you know posh glamorous. But no. when when you check out the the film's marketing posters, 
you you see none of that none of that crime and dirt that apparently somehow supposed to be in the film's film's text like take for example the must be love uh, which was the first film that we checked out mm. and that film perhaps when it comes to characters that is perhaps the the kind of a, the dirtiest depiction of of our main leads in that film the the film makes a definitive definitive point about how our leading lady Pat Short is is a smelly sweat beast and and really ugly and smells real bad and then you see the marketing poster and she's like fresh out of the shower even even her dad's animal body part sweatshop is, is nowhere in the picture they are in some kind of a goddamn field in a fresh open air in in the marketing marketing material but with that type of marketing and later on with the way how the characters are being depicted in these films i wouldn't really say that they, the filipinos either allow their their main main characters or especially the ladies to be like physically dirty in in the films must be love is really reaching it when it comes to to our lineup of movies today and even that ran into pretty strong limitations pretty fast when it came to you know butt short being any type of dirty yeah perhaps could start with discussing our <clears throat> main friends of tonight Catherine Bernardo and Daniel Padilla so Catherine Bernardo what do we don't know about Catherine Bernardo do you want me to go on an epic explanation but by all means because when it comes to my summarization of Catherine Bernardo She's a person who has a one hell of a PR team. Okay, tell me more about that. Well, the point is that there really is not much to tell about her. Like, <laughs> for, for, the, for the audiences joining us <laughs> yeah. for, for today, the, the whole gimmick was, I, I don't know why we did this. Like, why did we choose rom-coms and, and why we went to Philippines? But, but the main gimmick here was to... To look at films that have a real-life couple in them, acting in the main ro- main leading roles, so that they are couple both in the film and also outside of the mo- film. And well, these these celebrity couples and them making projects together—that's really nothing new in entertainment circles. We have had these these type of exercises before. Mm. Uh, ben Affleck was. Dating Lopez and that brother Kigley. <laughs> Matt Damon was with Angelina Jolie at one time, and well, we were gifted with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We, we have seen this in Music World, for example, Greg Allman and Cher, when they were together, they made also very lackluster and hideously bad album together. So the, the phenomena itself. Is, is nothing new. But we have, haven't ever really studied, like, if, if you have a couple who has stayed together for a long time, as all couples, it's kind of a reasonable expect that they also have their ups and downs, like all relationships have. So you could form a theory that once the couple hits a hard spot, since they are working together, perhaps that hard spot could somehow show up 
in their own screen chemistry. And vice versa, like when it's all songs and roses, perhaps there would be some kind of a, you know, difference in the film that they made on the happy days versus the film that they made together when they were not not so happy in their relationship. And that that was kind of what we at least attempted to study <laughs> in, in today's film lineup. And as it turns out, both both Catherine and Danielle, that the PR teams are so hardworking that you pretty much can't find any dirt on their relationship. And therefore, most of the whole entire exercise just went straight out of the window because we don't know enough about them as a real-life couple to actually see, say anything about does any of that real relationship show up, show up in these films. I'd say that uh, it shows up in the way that they perform on the screen together. And I thought that there's a, there's a lot of honest performance and uh, ease of performance when you're uh, acting in front of your, your everything, <clears throat> your love. So, yeah, I, I think especially Catherine Bernardo is giving some powerful performances here and there. And they are both doing a good job. I don't know, they have been colleagues, more or less, ever since their childhood. Yeah. Understood correctly. So when it comes to the ease of the performance, that may just also be the, the fact that they are once again working with a familiar face. Since something mm. that you pretty quickly also noticed from noticed from these features is that these films really, really love to recycle the same characters. From one film to the say to the next, it's the same actors, and now they just have a new role. Perhaps it's a larger than in the last movie. Perhaps it's a little smaller. Perhaps they are this time. This time they are more of a side character. But the actors, it, it, it's like a revolving revolving door for the for the actors from one film to the next. It is a bit something. Well, a lot of something manufactured in the way in the in the way of the the structure of the film as as you notice this like like the inciting incident you gotta have it in the three four five first minutes it's always the same and then you have like the the midpoint you have the epic revelation of something it always happens a lot around you know just before the first hour ends or a little bit after the first hour and uh, most of them repeat a lot of the same beats i would say but let's talk about that in detail soon. Catherine Bernardo, born March 26, 1996, an actress and a singer as well, started acting already at the ripe age of six or seven in 2003. Is also known in uh, the early movies from a Spider-Man parody called Gagan Boy from 2004, first film. Then landed uh, first lead role in 2006 in the TV series Super Ingo, playing the love interest at the age of 9 or 10. <clears throat> Became known for her role as Mara in Mara Clara TV series from 2010 to 2011. Way back home, 2011, first lead role in a film. And is the only Filipina actress to reach over 800 million uh, Philippine pesos for two movies. The House of Us from 2018, which is the, the second most successful Filipino movie ever. And then there is, well, of course, Padilla goes with this sentiment of the, the uh, most successful actor. 
And then with the Hello, Love, Goodbye from 2019, this is the highest grossing Filipino film ever. Uh, it's also a romantic duo film, but but curiously, this is without Padilla. We can touch upon on that later. Instead, the male lead is played by Alden Richards. One curiosity, La Luna Sangre from 2017 to 2018. It's a crossover spin-off of the Filipino hit TV series Lobo and Immortal. It's kind of the race against humanity, vampires, werewolves. They're all fighting together. And then there is uh, uh, Three Words to Forever from 2018 without Padilla. And it was only in 2018 that she revealed that she and Padilla had been in a long-term relationship since May 25th, 2012. That is a long time to hide that fact. You know, that, that is just, I guess, goes to some kind of, a, could this be this conservative Filipino values or just not wanting to deal with that publicly? Who knows? Uh, might also kind of be an attempt to preserve and safeguard your, the, the image that you have yeah. as, a, as a film actress. Then again, I think it has worked in their favor that they have you know, come out as a couple. This one appears to have, have worked in the in their favor. Uh, but it, it kind of is good to remember that when it comes to basically any celebrity coming out on on his or her sexuality or anything that goes into them, be, that being the sexual orientation or their relationship status or whatever, they always kind of carry with them the possibility and and the, the possibility for somehow the dynamic and the perceived image of of the celebrity in the eyes of of her mm-hmm. fans kind of changing it may lead into a positive reaction as it appear apparently has has been the case in here but the fan reaction can also be really toxic yeah as we have talked about in the Satoshi Kon episode. A Satoshi Kon episode is actually, when it comes to the problematic relationships between between the artists or the celebrities and, and their fans, Satoshi Kon is more kind of a deep dive episode into that question than today's episode perhaps will be. But in in the same way as, as we de- talked about in, in Satoshi Kon, the uh, the same problems are also something that that Catherine Bernardo and and Danielle will and have been facing, or at least on some level must have faced whenever when they announced their that they were dating. So the couple have agreed to tie the knot before they turn thirty, and that they're planning to get married, according to the recent information in next year twenty twenty two. Daniel Padilla. Who the hell is Daniel Padilla? He was born in 26th April 1995, Filipino actor and also a recording artist, also known as DJ Padilla, not because of doing any DJ work, but just second name. His life as a child was difficult and he had some issues with his father. Family was really poor at one point, no electricity, no food. And Daniel was known to be a bit of a playboy before kind of settling down with Catherine Bernardo, three-time double platinum recording artist, successful there, a son of an actor and actress-singer. 
nephew of Robin Padilla, also a famous actor in Philippines. The first time Catherine Bernardo and Daniel Padilla worked together was for Growing Up, a 2011 TV production. And as stated, the relationship started on May 25th, 2012, when Catherine was 16 and Daniel 17. They paired again in Princess and I TV series, and it became one of the most popular shows for ABS-CBN. They joined again in Star Magic's 20th Anniversary Ensemble cast movie, 24-7 In Love, from 2012, where they did not have any kind of a lead parts yet. They then had supporting roles in A Sister Ruckus from 2012. Uh, Padilla had success with his first EP around this time and then with his first full-length studio album, DJP. Went on to act with opposite Bernardo again in Got to Believe 2013 TV soap. But the proper breakthrough in feature films came with Must Be Love from 2013. It's Padilla's and, Padilla's and Bernardo's first proper romantic movie together. And this was closely followed by Backpack, the same year, 2013 horror film, which I believe Henrik didn't watch. No, I didn't touch that film even with a 10-foot pool. <laughs> uh, it was hard to get into. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with the local beliefs in ghosts, apparitions of the, and of the sort, so went a little bit above my head, I have to say. That may sound funny, but yeah, I'm missing some context here. In 2014, Parilia did an action film, Sangalangang Amaina Atmanga Anak. Sorry to all my Philippines friends. He, he did a first historical action drama, Bonifacio, An Unang Bangulo, and of course the box office hit, She Stayed in the Gangster from 2014. Then came Crazy Beautiful You with Catherine in 2015, broke records with earnings of 32 million Philippine pesos on its first day and uh, the second one to gain 2 million USD of international screenings of Filipino movies. Then Padilla and Bernardo have also performed music live and in 2015 they recorded a Christmas album together called Christmas Love Duets. In 2016 came out Barcelona, A Love Untold, 2016 film. Padilla is part of a program to encourage youth to support and promote original Filipino music. Padilla is also known for his performances for charity purposes. Okay, let's get to the juicy stuff, Henrik. What has gone wrong in their, during their relationship, if anything? Well, if if PR department is to believe, actually nothing. Yeah, they seem to be extremely well protected because you can basically find nothing about these people. Of course, we are dealing with the sources that we are able to find as Finns. We are not in the know of the, the Filipino sources where to properly look. But yeah, Daniel has at least once been mad at Catherine. So. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there there was that one time when Danielle apparently le- left the the toilet seat cover up, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so Padilla wasn't too happy that uh, Catherine get, got tr- too drunk and then jumped into a swimming pool, and he was like, "What is this?" But 
that's about it that we know about. <laughs> it. This is the material that we have to work on today. <laughs> like uh, like fucking Vatican has has more dirt on it than than these these two. Yeah, these perfect angels. Yeah. Um, there is this uh, 2019 film that we shortly discussed on Hello Love Goodbye, which is the film where for the first time where. Catherine Bernardo is not acting opposite of Daniel Padilla in a romantic comedy film. So the story goes that, well, yeah, he was doing it with another lead than him. It was just a different feeling than jealousy that he felt regarding that project. He also told that he turned the role down, but he also said that he was dismissing the girlfriend and and feeling that closeness and he had to worry for his girlfriend because he's so protective and perfect boyfriend while the girlfriend was in Hong Kong filming the film. But this was also something that they wanted to, they decided together that they wanted to try something a little bit different, not always be known as the cat nail and just do something separately. But this is not going to be at the end of the, the cat nail story because they're, I believe, already working on, on their next film. According to IMDb, it was supposed to be released in 2020, but, you know, everybody knows what happens in 2020, so it might take a while to come out. Or then not. Like, they finish it quickly and just release it on Netflix. Like, apparently there has been a mass dump of these films on Netflix lately. That's also for anyone who, for some reason, is interested about the films talked about today. You can find all of these on, on Netflix's streaming li- library. There's no need for you to actually go on and buy anything this time around. Yeah, this is something that seems to happen to certain countries that they seem to dump a lot of their material, especially if it's for the from the same production company as I think most of these Gatnail films are. So they are just dumped into Netflix. And, and yeah, I guess it's good for them. People are actually able to see these films. Uh, what else? Daniel is afraid of spiders. Yeah, that that is that that is a deal breaker for our relationship. Yeah, shocking, shocking. But there was this audio clip scandal, where Daniel was talking about, apparently, his co-star who was not Catherine Bernardo, and seemed to be saying on the tape something kind of a positive about it that she was that he was really excited or that was the the, the feeling that you get could, could hear from his voice that he was really excited to get this text message from this co-actress and apparently this caused huge shock waves and and uh, Daniela Padilla apologized for Catherine Bernardo but I don't know from all I could tell it really wasn't that big of a deal and I don't really know the context either and I don't speak Tagalog, so could be anything. Yeah, this must be confessed that this wasn't one of our more successful attempts to approach any topic. This exercise on our part, well, it kind of fell, just fell apart. Yeah, but, you know, this might be just the savior of the episode, because there's also one more scandal. Did Daniel Padilla... Unfollow Catherine Bernardo on Instagram. Apparently, yes, if, if you check out the picture evidence. I checked just yesterday if this is still the case. It's not. They, they, they follow each other. So, yeah. 
<laughs> okay, everything is fine back in the kingdom. <laughs> okay, would it be our first film? Must be love. <laughs> yeah, let, let's 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 switch to films because because this did did not lead into to any into anything. Yeah. At least in America, you you get get sexual misconduct and domestic violence. Must be love. So the first film where they are on screen together as the leads, the love tandem begins. As stated, they did star in Sister Akas and Twenty Four Seven in Love together, but not as leads. This was not any kind of a super hit yet. It raked sixty one million pesos in three weeks, so it was good and ranked on position 34 but yeah that year the film is directed by Dada Lumi Bao writer director also director of Princess and I TV series where Kat Neil was as was a part of it music is by Jesse Lazaten who has also scored a couple of others other of these lovebirds films casting we have Catherine playing Patch Daniel playing Ivan Lisa Soberano plays Angel, the other love interest of DJ's character Ivan, or Ivan. John Lapus plays Baby Martinez, uh, son of a showbiz columnist, he's openly gay. A man of almost 100 credits in the showbiz, also acted in a film curiously titled The Girl Allergic to Wi-Fi. This is the movie of, of the slow-mos. The slow-mo is the part of our semiotic analysis, the, the struct, structural analysis. Slow-mo is a uh, repeating part, but I don't think it really... I, I don't think there's anything really s- that symbolizes really anything in any of these films. But it's a repeating theme. Yeah, it's, a, it's also the film of that really annoying habit of trying to copy and use the... the the acronyms used by youths and teenagers, like over half of the dialogue here is, is YOLO or WOE or, or other some such nonsense, and it actually gets old pretty damn fast. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of a third wheel romantic comedy, the tertiary party there to ruin everything. They've got to fight, fight for each other and their love. Or, or do something. Uh, to be uh, exactly clear, I do think that must be love is like the second best film in in today's gathering of of movies. Mm. Uh, it's it's the one that where the comedic elements most worked for me. Didn't find it super funny at all, but but well, it, it is supposed to be a romantic comedy. And at at least I I could sense an attempt at comedy every now and then. Like at, at least there there was there there was it, it did manage to reach a certain type of tone and a certain type of of easygoing feeling in it. And the comedic elements were something that well at least did have a possibility of working. Yeah, it's not trying to do much of anything. It's just a very simple little love story for the teenagers, and uh, that's about it. Get the hell out and roll the credits. Yep. To, to quickly summarize the plot, there are two childhood friends, Ivan and Pachot. 
Both of them come from families where one of the parents has left. So both are growing with 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 a single parent households. Both have a fascination towards basketball ball playing. And well, the, the main crux of the story is that Pachot has developed feelings towards Ivan, but has never been able to work those feelings out. So they are stuck in, in the friend zones and at some point, uh, and Ivan is the type of person who has kind of switches from one girlfriend to another. And the big question of the movie is that does Pachot ever actually find the courage within her to tell Ivan that she cares for him? And does Ivan actually ever realize that Pachot is the, real, the correct girl for him? And then there is also some kind of a competition about hair salons and, and some bet that goes on in the background. Yeah, when that plot starts to begin, it feels like a proper subplot that is kind of meaningless, but then it becomes a part of their journey in the end. First, it feels like, yeah, yeah, what is this? It it, it starts as, as something like, what is this? And then it becomes the driving vehicle, which the film uses to... For for the for Ivan and Pachot to, to to force them to come together and Ivan to see Pachot in a new light and realize that that he loves Pachot. Yeah. And then it once again somehow completely on on the final five fifteen minutes that the whole hair salon competition thing just manages to fade back into the background and become and return back to the what actually is this territory yeah we get to the inciting incident really quickly in the five minute mark as patch gets hit with the basketballs and basketball and then she says she loves ivan and because they're lifelong friends as you mentioned it's tricky for them to admit this right away and this is setting us on the path of action here and there's loads of obstacles one of such is appearing at 24 minutes in when angel gets off her car and ivan experiences the slow-mo moment when the beautiful girl gets out of the car uh, in the middle of nowhere now we've been introduced to all the key characters and we've established the inciting incident and what we're going to deal with here Yet another obstacle at 33 minutes might be seen as an obstacle when they're at the restaurant of Batch and Ivan comes there to meet Angel and Batch realizes she's got an obstacle to face here. By now we've established that Angel is very picky and has completely different interests to Ivan, so it starts to fall apart. Where very quickly Ivan starts to show the affection of his towards Batch, for example at the beach with the volleyball game and everything. In case you were wondering what is this mustache shit all about, it is uh, in the beginning of the film when they're playing basketball, Ivan and Patch are wearing these fake mustaches and this is a reference to the film Mr. Suave and the character of Mr. Suave and the mustache that he, seems, that he has. It's seen as some kind of a symbol of the ultimate dream man of a lady. I don't know why they're wearing it right there and on that day, but yeah. It's a big twist moment around the half mark of the film, pretty accurately on time there. Uh, one hour and two minutes in, 
Ivan and Badge, they get to hear that they're supposed to be the bride and groom for the fashion show. So now the subplot becomes part of the important part of the main plot. And of course, we got a disaster phase at 117. Angel, she returns and catches Ivan and Batch facing facing each other as if they would be kissing each other any second now. There's also the confrontation with Daddy-O. I'm not only your partner, can't you be just kind of a daddy for me? Moment. 125, there's a continuation for the disaster or the crisis phase of this film. When Ivan and Patch, they try to sort their shit out at the basketball field. The most interesting moment for me in the film. At 1.36, Ivan then confesses to Angel that he loves Patch more. Sorry. So she sort of acquiesces that you should you should be at the stage, you two guys. And so that's kind of the climax and then super fast exit out of the film. There's barely any actress in these films. It's just, okay, solved, you're my girlfriend. Kiss, or not really shown even the kiss because of you know, conservative values of the Philippines. And exit film. And at the very end, I, I guess, it, it's kind of haze, but I guess Ivan's mom lost her hair salon. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, the hair salon thing is the, is that Ivan's mom has had a long-running hair salon in one spot. Her ex-husband's new wife takes property on, on the, exactly next to her, and they form the rivalry where they make the pet that they are both taking part in this, this hair grooming competition, and the loser has to leave her spot. Whoever wins the competition is never actually confirmed, but what is confirmed is that Ivan's mom most definitely did not win that one. So, I, I don't know. Ivan and Patch get each other, and Ivan's mom is jobless. I, I think Ivan will st- just be to the mom, like, I will always be here for you. <laughs> yeah, that joke got a little bit old there. Well, that's the preliminary phase of must be love coverage. I guess we could move on to the next one. Most likely, there really is not that much to, to talk about in must be love. It is. It it works as a template setup for mo pretty much the the entire run of of today's movies. There are some differences from the template of must be love, but. These kind of stick to this blueprint very heavily. Some of them have more dramatic and facing, but but still. But still, four films to go. She's dating the gangster on the menu next from 2014. This film is directed by Kathy Garcia Molina. Now, one of the very few female directors in this podcast that we have covered. But as it turns out, now that we suddenly cover loads of rom-coms we are tackling a lot of female female directors as well and she should be the hottest directors or if not the hottest director in the country now since she has now directed uh, these two of the most successful films in filipino goddamn history the house of us and hello love goodbye along with uh, other huge blockbusters 
And the cinematography here is by Dan Villegas. He is also the DP of Crazy Beautiful You and 24-7 in Love, the two other Catnail films. He is also a director. Screenwriters, <clears throat> Carmi Raimundo and Charlene Grace Bernardo. Carmi Raimundo is a repeating screenwriter here. Music by Cesar Francis Concio, who composed music for Packback, Nine Lives. This film is based on a pop fiction book of the same name. Yeah, apparently the story more or less crept up on upon the world from the from the cancer ridden hellhole that is also known as the Vatpad app, which is a app where there is a really really large collection of of well horrible fan fiction and and other literary classics from various people people all around the world. Okay, in good hands then. Most definitely. Um, with she's dating the gangster, we are actually witnessing a certain type of production trend that is happening in the in the movie industry, or has been happening in the movie industry for perhaps something like five or ten years now where the auditing process of what scripts or what stories get made, or more precisely, what properties do we buy and then turn, turn into film scripts in order to, to film them, that auditing is more or less now being transferred into the potential customer base by the studios and production houses. Kind of a just Calking around Wattpad and websites like uh, creepy, uh, like Reddit's creepypasta community or other creepypasta combination sites. And desperately try, trying to find stories that have the biggest, biggest number of followers, perhaps the biggest rating, that, that have some kind of a clout in the service where those stories exist and they just willy-nilly buy the stories from there and then try to turn the story into a film script. This is something, uh, for example, Steven Spielberg was at least planning to, to film one of the creepypasta storylines. I don't remember what was the name. It was uh, a cursed Bella Tower thing. Uh, apparently, they, they, they bought the rights, but the production didn't happen. And now we have an example of, of something that actually went through and became a film in She's Dating the Gangster. Well, as long as the original material is gold. Well, with Wattpad and Reddit's creepypasta community, how could it not be gold? Well, if it has enough upvotes, of course it's gold. Naturally. Must be a real masterpiece. Where, where is the Academy Awards? Yeah, let's find out. How Academy Award worthy this is. Daniel Padilla plays Kenji and Kenneth. Catherine Bernardo plays Athena and Kile. Some other characters here. Sophia Andres plays Abigail here in her breakthrough role. In this film, she's 15 or 16. She played alongside Kathniel in print. Uh, when I say Kathniel, I mean it's like the term that our, the fans are using. For many of these celebrity couples, you know, the names are condensed into one. Daniel Padilla, Catherine Bernardo becomes Kathniel. So she played alongside Kathniel in Princess and I, TV series. Is also a model and has one child already. 
Khalil Ramos plays young Lucas, also known for Too Cool to Be Forgotten, written with numbers, you know, Too Cool to Be Forgotten. A gay interest coming of age film, which won the best film, best supporting actor, and best cinematography accolades in the, in the 12th Cinema One Origins Film Festival. Okay, so we're dealing with the third wheel romantic comedy type of film once again. They've got to fight for each other once again. They love each other, but the other doesn't want to admit its situation initially. Well, yeah, yeah, no. This, this is a kind of weird hostage situation story that we have. So to quickly recap, she's dating the gangster. It starts, actually, when did the film start? 2014, which was present day way back when. There's a there's a dad and his son. They don't come along too well. Um, dad co- decides to take a mysterious plane trip for mysterious reasons. Son's kind of uptight about this. Turns out that there's a plane crash and daddy goes missing. Son rushes to the airport and there finds a younger who also claims to be who claims to be the daughter of the missing dad and. Well, they they form a pact where they both decide to travel, travel to to find the the daddyo. There's an emergency camp where the those who have been found alive needing some type of medical assistance have, from the crash site has been transported to, and our pair decides to travel to the camp. And the deal is that if the boy tolerates the girl, the girl will tell about the, the long-lost love story, how their, their, both of their parents came together, and what is the secret love that they formed all those years ago. And from there we get into a weird hodgepodge of, of broken hearts and, and troubled love and... Well, borderline psychotic behavior. <laughs> there, there's a there's a heartbroken incel who is the gangster at the school, but not really, I guess. And I I don't know. They they somehow they managed to form certain type of of social hostage situation where they fell for each other. One thing that disturbed me right off the bat is that there is the scene. I wish you would have died instead of mama. And then this daddy-o goes on this, on this, on this flight that then crashes somewhere, and there, and then there are a few survivors. And after that, it's like he's just staring at the TV screen, like, okay, that happened. And then he goes to the airport, meets with the lady, and it's like they're not really worried that he would be alive or dead. Who cares? No, I mean, no. the the girl's <laughs> mission is first of all to. Just get Auntie and, and the daddy back together again because it's really, really important. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the, the guy is just getting more and more infatuated about the girl. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, our, our lead, leading hero when it comes to the modern day 2014 sec- parts of the film wakes up one morning because at the, at the mansion where he lives, there was, there was a a huge ruckus going on, Go, goes to downstairs, learns that the, the 
plane where where his dad has been has has just crashed and we don't know if there are if the dad is still still alive and the, and the expression on his face is kind of like oh bummer <laughs> yeah makes me believe well, that, that happened <laughs> makes me believe that he was really serious when he said those lines <laughs> to his dad <laughs> So that's where it happens. We get the characters moving. And of course, this is a film that hops between, I believe it's the 70s setting of these different characters depicting the past of their their parents. Uh, I I would guess it's 90s because of all the skateboarding. But but but, but, but 90s was really big with with, with extreme sports which included <laughs> skateboarding for some goddamn reason okay 70s 80s or 90s close enough i paid a lot of attention to this extremely colorful clothing and color everywhere it's so colorful unbelievable maybe this is the, the, the most brightest film in, in color spaces that i've seen in a long time well, I, I don't know. I know Barcelona has also segments that really try to rival the, the colorful the, the colorful nature of she's dating the gangster. Oh, okay. We'll be on that in a sec. So we definitely move on to the second act around the time when in the past there is this from now on we're a couple, like a forced couple because I just gotta play this guy who has successfully landed a new girlfriend just like that and but then it turns out that this girl just for some reason separated with the guy because she knows that she is going to die of gastric cancer stage three and this is just something that kind of aches me about this film because it's just i don't know it's just it's just throwing around these these medical terms and and these horrible diseases and it's kind of plays with them and then doesn't do much with them. You have this gastric cancer stage three girl at her deathbed, and we never see her again. It's just, yeah, we got rid of this girl. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they both. The main gist here is that that Genji, who who is the missing daddy, in in the past, he was dating a girl named Athena. And Athena has broken up the relationship mysteriously, never explaining Genji why they broke up. And Genji is now all heartbroken and dark and brooding and sad and all gangster shit or something. It turns out that the reason is that, as you mentioned, Athena has cancer. And she knows that she's going to die and she kind of just tries to to save Genji from, from heartache by breaking up with him and then dying off screen because that's supposed to help, I don't know, somehow. And yeah. then in, in order to win Athena back, Genji essentially bullies and socially shames and in the end by threatening another Athena with, with suicide forces her to start dating with him. Yeah. And and the plot here is that this new relationship with, with Genji and Athena 2 is supposed to make Athena 1 jealous enough to for her to take Genji back. And then at the, the epic plot twist, it turns out that Athena 2 also has the exact same cancer. And the cancer never actually really affects these characters' life in any way. It does... It has zero physical consequences, 
Except, you know, when the script finally reaches the moment where, well, Athena 1 dies. Then you, then finally the cancer actually does something. Like, now she's on a, on a hospital bed and Athena 2... Uh, uh, becomes paralyzed from waist down, apparently also because of the cancer. But that's that's like that there are, there are set like there are exact moments within the script when the cancer actually has some effect on this character's lives. Otherwise, it's it's barely even there. What blink uh, and you forget that it even exists, and it, it is a bit problematic because as you mentioned, these are real issues. Like the condition that both both Athenas are going through, it is pretty, it is quite dramatic, and it is something that does have constant effects on their or would have constant effects on their lives. Would this be real life? And here it's kind of a just thrown around willy nilly. Yeah, good word. But the first Athena, kind of the, the the first target that he wants back in this film, she has the cancer, but the Athena number two, the not pretty Athena apparently, she has car- cardiomyopathy. Oh yes, yeah. shows that. And Indeed. so somehow, I don't know if it's possible. But I I think it's pre- uh, it's very individual how the severity levels go with this disease. So I guess it's totally possible that she would live to a long ripe age, and then. Of course, she wants to live in order to see Kenji again on on like 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, still holding on to this teenage crush or kind of true love. And then when they get together at the ripe old age, Henrik, I just don't feel it because these are obviously different actors for, for starters. And then... Uh, Surely I don't I don't feel it, and it's just this whole cliche thing that it, I don't buy that they would be so infatuated about themselves for that long and still have this kind of <gasps> you're here and and then <laughs> yeah. she dies off. The, these characters have not seen each other for years now. Yeah, but Genji has a son with another woman. Yeah. And they and and Kenji and Athena too have not been in contact, Co- I mean, contact at all. I guess during that time, there has just been that that kind of a longing love where they both have been thinking about each other but never done anything about it. And when they finally, finally at the end of the film, they come face to face and see each other long last again. Now, now it's now. Now they are once again, as you mentioned, they are immediately affiliated with each other. I, I guess because true love, yeah, or something. I mean, even if it... perhaps also because Athena too, like you corrected, has a heart condition that only acts up when it has a dramatic effect on a script. <laughs> yeah, I just. I just don't buy that you can hold on to those extremely intense feelings of love that you had in your teenage years, and then you have completely transformed, hopefully, to a different person when you're older, and then these feelings bursting out again like that. It feels like, God damn you, you, you wasted your life again. <laughs> well, you wasted your life... Already once before, which was which which wasn't the moment when you 
originally, for some reason, fell in love with Kenji. <laughs> like, like, I, I just can't get over the fact that the way how the, the love between Kenji and Athena 2 is supposed to, to kind of come up or, or, you know, be born in the film. It, it's based on some of the more insidious shit that I've seen in rom-coms. Uh, granted, she's dating the gangster is not the only rom-com that, that does this, but it bears to remember that the, the whole original relationship, or the fake relationship, which then on grows into a real rela- relationship, essentially is based on the fact that Kenji and his friends bully, socially ashamed and isolate and as as the last straw, Kenji, quite literally, he he climbs on this on on the rooftop of his school and publicly threatens to jump unless Athena too starts to date him. Yeah, but it all turned out all right. It it all turned out into <laughs> into a real love at the end. Yeah, certainly. And it all turned out into the high point of the film with the go sexy, go sexy, go sexy, sexy love. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a reason why I didn't actually listen to the soundtracks of these films, and that's one of them. <laughs> I hope it's not on the soundtracks. Uh, I pray it's not in the soundtracks, but I'm most definitely certain it, it absolutely is. If we ever gonna gonna check out She's Dreading the Gangster's soundtrack, it most definitely is gonna find there. It's gonna be like track seven on the soundtrack. Oh, Henrik, if you want the next level of cringe regarding this, you can find on YouTube a video where they're in a talk show, Daniela Padilla and uh, Catherine Bernardo, and the host makes them do the whole sexy, sexy love again. Oh, God. <laughs> And then she already kind of starts doing it, and then the host is not yet, not yet. Oh, and then. Ah, <laughs> uh, this this film somehow just managed to get get worse and worse as this episode goes on. Like I, I I was I was I was tired. I was tired with these movies. Movies after I had watched them. I was like, oh god, yeah, this this episode is this is gonna be a fun one to be making, and and now now as as we are making, I hear hear more and more about the YouTube trash that you have been managed to dig up. It's like, oh god, this is turning into a bottomless pit of despair. <laughs> I admit that this is one of the hardest f- episodes for me to do. Um. I mean, we've been doing this episode for, for what, two and a half weeks or something. Quite of a long time. <laughs> Quite and, of a long time. And it's it's been only in the last few days that I've properly started to make any kind of structure for this episode. Reason being, I didn't find any structure to build upon. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to the Flick Lab. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Flick Lab. And, and did you ever figure out how the fuck Genji is a gangster? Uh, well, he uh, has a skateboard and a he has a skateboard and a bandana. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's enough. The, the film's hmm. name name is "She's Dating the Gangster," and and, and they for some reason for some reason that the two male characters Kenji and and his son are being being called gangster. Yeah, by by the, by the ladies of the movie. It's cute, cutesy. It, 
it, it is, it is. Being associated to organized crime, drug dealing and murder is, is cute and sexy. <laughs> and and since since we are talking about talking about co- completely despicable and, and horrible behavior from from the male male character's side, what did you think think about the the, the ending of the film? Like that part where apparently oh my Genji and, and his son, they they organized a second, this time major fake plane crash. With 50 plus people. With, with 50 plus people so that they can trick Genji's son's crush to, to believe that, that the son has perished on a plane crash. Yeah, and then they kind of high five each other. Yeah, high-fiving each other, and it's it's fair to remember that this is kind of a, a major stunt. Like like they trick a a news crew to to be standing on 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 the airport terminal simply because you know when the real crash happened at the at the beginning of the film, it it got featured in the tele- television news, and there was a news crews on the loca- at at the plane terminal so now now since they are now faking a second crash they also are news crews and now they have also managed to somehow get the official airport terminal crew to play a part also in the in this fake plane crash yeah and uh, just before that there is this old Kenji and Athena meet and i think the film kind of considers this to be some kind of a climax of Act two, but it kind of sucks because it does. It, <laughs> it does. It uses these actors, these different actors, to finish their story, and I don't feel kind of anything, and I don't buy them as these characters. And then it kind of hamfists the the ending of the 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 young 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 people's story in there in just two minutes at the airport. Like <gasps> I think my love has died. He's very sexy, and I can't find him. And, were you looking for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the end not, of the not, to, not to mention that, uh, actually, the, the, the ending's romantic culmination for Genji's and Athena 2's love story arc is that they, they, just are, they are just sitting on a bench. Yeah. That's the closing shot when it comes to their love story, when yeah. they finally like see each other after all those years. Yeah. Now she can die in peace. Now she can die in peace. But yeah, can we start our own love story? No kiss for the conservative Philippines and end credits. That was really, really weird trend. A trend to be to notice on these films. There are certain certain elements that that gotta keep on repeating from one movie to to another. And the you can't show the kiss is is most definitely one of them. There are. I, I didn't pay any attention to that first, but, mm. you know, by, by film two, she's dating the gangster, I started to notice that, like, they, they, they kind of mask it pretty well at, at first. Like I said, I didn't notice it when I was looking at Must Be Love, but, but seeing more than one of them, you actually do pick up on the fact that they, they, they build the scenes so that their lips almost touch, and just on the last minute, they cut into another camera angle. But Barcelona is, is the is the weird one that goes yeah. very heavily a special attention to the fact that now their lips are touching. Yeah. Like there, there's the, there's the, that fake out cut 
like once again bring back the previous two films where they faked out from on the last second from the kiss Barcelona also does that and then there's the comment no more cutting and then the camera is like super close as they kiss yeah another really weird trend here is that apparently there really is is not poor people in in Philippines because you notice that all these characters they they constantly live in giant ass mansions in these (laughs) films uh yeah and their background wasn't really told that they would be particularly rich right no no they, they are supposed to be more or less like average filipinos they all have these luxurious mansions or, or hotels somewhere. Of course, Barcelona makes a huge point about this mom who is all, all there ready to write some goddamn checks to the to the to the son all the time. But there are no no luxury mansions because yeah, they're in just in the in the flat of the son basically, or, or the son and the and the mom are living in the same apartment. Yeah, yeah, they had to go to, to to as far as to Spain to finally face working class housing. <laughs> but speaking of poor people in the Philippines, actually the next film Crazy Beautiful You has those. It's actually centered on a on a village or a community of well, poor people living without electricity. <laughs> in a in the middle of a desert where you can't act by by accident come into contact with them. So that you wouldn't be infected by by the poorness. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. More on that coming. The film is directed by Maya Charina Cruz, more or less, the director of Can't Help Falling in Love from 2017, which I also checked. It's one of those catnail movies that we're not going to discuss in this episode. And then there is 24-7 in Love, 2012, that she also directed. Cinematography is by Dan Villegas, once again. The DP of She's Dating the Gangster. Second DP is Mozi. Screenwriters, Chancy E. Nicholas, Bianca Bernardino, she wrote the book of She's Dating the Gangster, actually. Man Dimakulangan, a longtime writer of Malala, Malala Mokaya, the longest-running TV show in the Philippines. A TV drama of sorts since 1991. Carmen Raimundo is back again, writer-producer of Hello, Love, Goodbye, and she's dating the gangster. Story by Rory P. Quintos. Music by Jesse Lucas. Um, this is the only the second Pinoy film to reach the 2 million mark outside the Philippines. Also passed 320 million pesos in the Philippines, which is about 6.3 million USD, which is indeed big in those parts of planet Earth. Casting. Daniel Padilla plays Kiko. Catherine Bernardo plays Madame Baby slash Jackie. Lorna Tolentino plays the mother of Madame Baby. Tolentino, she's an actor's host and executive producer. She's been active actress since the 1970s. And is the widow of Rudy Fernandez, an actor who died of pancreatic cancer. Then we have Inigo Pascual plays the role of Marcus, the brother of Kiko, competing force. He's a Filipino actor, obviously, singer and songwriter, son of actor Piolo Pascual. Inigo became known for uh, relax, it's just puggy big, or in English, relax, it's just love, a rom-com once again. His father was in it too. 
Okay, so what do we have here? We have a third wheel, romantic comedy. They've got to fight for each other. They love each other very much, and other one doesn't want to admit its situation. Uh, two occasions in this movie where the music stops suddenly during scene transition. I have to mention a bit of a sloppy editing here. We have a cell phone obsessed race car driver, Jackie, crashes the car, goes into jail, and then meets Kiko, who is there to take her back to the mama, who will take her on a mission to the mountains, or in the middle of nowhere, on a voluntary work mission to take photographs, because she's apparently pretty good at it. <laughs> well, you didn't like those photos? <laughs> they were absolute shit. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you give, give me some context? To give some context for my reaction. At the at the very end of, of the film, Jackie has has a goddamn Jackie has a goddamn exhibition for for her photographs, where where there, where all, all these important people like the mayor of 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 the city and and God knows who who come to check out check out all her photos and apparently at this point she also has has become kind of a, like the the go-to photographer for the mayor and other famous and influential people in, in, in the city. And when you finally see the exhibition, when you finally see the photographs, I, I mean, goddamn, I, I, I don't know how to, how to photograph shit. And even I, well, the photos are the, 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 the level of quality that I would shoot. Perhaps even lower, <laughs> and it's like that the film treats them like they are high art. Yeah, and then the friend comes into frame at the exhibition, and he's like, "Your pictures are great, Jackie." <laughs> and I wasn't convinced. I wasn't either. <laughs> like there, there you, there, there you saw saw a guy who was desperate to get his being stuck into somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, but hey, this is this is one of the funniest films for me. It, it, it is, but it's it, unfortunate that's for, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> when Kiko and Chucky meet at the market. The cell phone is stolen from Jackie, and then the chase ensues, and there's this first this uh, this uh, kind of a slow motion transitioning. It's first a romantic slow mo, and then goes back to the guitar heavy metal music chase, and the, <laughs> <laughs> and, the and the romantic slow motion comes back to, during the chase, and I thought that that was just fucking funny. Like, ding ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel movies very much, and that was fun. Oh boy! <laughs> it, it it is it is a movie that that somehow <laughs> for for some some odd reason it tries to have these this at moments that are really short moments in it where it tries to somehow emulate like action movie. You mentioned the the soundtrack that happens 
and <laughs> the way how the film starts, it's that it points to you that points out to you that somebody has checked out at least one of those Fast and Furious films. <laughs> like, it, it's it's the the film's opening scene is an illegal, or I don't know if it's illegal. Because goddamn, if these movies ain't milk toast in their presentation, but it starts with a street racing competition, and and from everything in that scene, from the cars, from from the cinematography, from the the atmosphere that the scene tries to build up, you can you can you can see even with your fucking forehead that somebody is trying to trying to simulate Fast and Furious. <laughs> As as desperately as possible, but apparently they didn't have the skill nor the money to exactly pull it off. And after this exciting, well, like chase, then Jackie is doing something that doesn't make any sense character-wise. This Kiko just saved the phone basically for the lady and she's extremely ungrateful. Here, go away. I just smiled to you back at the bazaar or whatever, but uh, go away. Yeah, that that's supposed to be the moment, like like the parts of the film where Jackie is quote unquote badass. Yes. Yeah. Bad badass cell phone owner, completely indulged, completely in her own world, in that cell phone world. Which is once again a surprisingly hideous running theme in these films. They they all depict the the leading lady, the woman, as as somehow shallow. I was waiting for this argument. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. But also, if you go to the house, the house of us, there, it, the kind of the male lead has to redeem himself to her. Yeah, uh, the house of us does do a slight spin on 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 the formula, but even there, the the main lady, George, weird name, but you know mm. what you're gonna do. But George is, like, once the film proper starts, when the redemption arc for for the main male character Primo starts in, in The House of Us, it's... George is being presented and framed as as, a, as cold, as, as once again kind of a mean-spirited character. And her major arc in The House of Us is... Her once again finding her feelings towards Primo and falling in love with him again and softening up and all of this is being celebrated very heavily. It's it's like like the framing in that movie is so much in your face that that you wouldn't help but to see it even if you were literally blind. Well, you know what else is very much in your face in that film in the first five minutes misogyny. Actually, not only that, it's male hate, female hate. Yeah, you are you are absolutely right. I I like you. You are referring back to the, the debate competition that they are mm. having at at the school. And w once again, once again, they are supposed to be. Is that supposed to be university, high school level, high school at least? Yep. And this is supposed to be a debating competition. <laughs> And and they are they are having a debate about about the the, the role of the, of of women in society, Jesus. and the and the arguments are like, 
Well, all women can do is cook and clean. And 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 the lady and George kind of a shoots back that well, only thing that we men can do they they can't do more than one thing at a time because they are so dumb dumb. And the the film kind of a, kind of a frames this as some kind of a masterclass of debating. Oh yeah, personally, yeah, so yeah. Fine. There, there's a cheering audience for goddamn for for this, and they, they are really like living this debate. Like, oh man, shots fired, shots fired, mm. even cooler shots fired. <laughs> you cannot survive without us. Gender expectations that you hate, and men and women are complementary, and we think more objectively. And this was really yeah. uncomfortable and so stupid, and. Yeah, yeah. Primo, Primo's argument is is directly that women are irrational because they feel so strongly, which makes them hysterical. And men are better sex because men think rationally. And and, and the audience is like, fucking a best debate One for the team. Yeah, best argument ever. And I'm looking for like. Have have you jackasses who wrote this? Have you ever actually seen a debate, like a real debate? This wouldn't be so hard. Like this, this would be bad. This would be lackluster, even if this would have been like one of those 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 fought upon you high school debating exercises, where, where where the entire class just has to have this this debate from random subject for five minutes. And in in like in the, in those situations, of course, nobody is a professional debater. All the all the arguments are going to suck ass more or less. But once again, once again, the house of us. The situation is a competition, yeah. a fucking competition. You certainly wouldn't see these kind of reactions, this kind of de- debate in American movies anymore. Anyway. No, and if if you follow like. Or even if if you don't follow, it, like like YouTube is, is is full, full of of videosized debates from from academic circles, or even even simply you know you know everyday people debating each other. There are like hundreds of videos about that, about different debates that take take place in in live streams or well you on some podium at some a university if, if it's academic debate or something like that those videos chock full of those videos and all every single one of them that I've seen have shown a better debate than what we have yeah as a as a competition level debate in the house of us yeah the, this is not any kind of a debate it doesn't have any it, there's no basis for the argument. It's just shooting the shit. Yeah, yeah. Throwing around that the basically the oldest, most debunked cliches and tropes. Mm. But hey, let's get back to crazy beautiful women. I'm crazy um, beautiful you. Well, well, let's let's. But you know, anyway, the second most successful film in Filipino film history. And the character, the lady character, did use a fancy word, temerity, there. So, scene saved and intellectual debate saved. Um, but this is also kind of a theme that 
is promulgated throughout these films, all, all of the films in some way. That if you can call it sexism, I don't know, but there is this that the male character is often the stronger and the the morally more mature person, as is very evident in Crazy Beautiful You, where you, you have this lady just drawn from the city who doesn't know anything about anything, is drawn into the cell phone, whereas Padilla's character is mature, has helped people and knows how to run things and, uh, you know, there's more to life than cell phone. And... Um, it's also something that happens in Barcelona, Barcelona I'm told this girl doesn't know how to basically hold any goddamn job in Barcelona and the male lead has to help her over and over and over again. And I was I was expecting what I and I was waiting when does this argument show up because mm. I I was told, should I raise it up here now in Crazy Beautiful You or should I save it to Barcelona? Because god damn, if if these films don't love to to use that the the man establishing his control over the women and that being good for the woman stereotype as a, as a plot point repeated in well pretty much some way or the other in all of these these films. Uh, Crazy Beautiful You and Barcelona are the most obvious ones here. In Crazy Beautiful You, there's a moment where Kiko literally handcuffs himself on Jackie <laughs> to have control over her. And in Barcelona, our our heroic and and lovely male male lead character Ellie was that his name yeah yeah Ellie he confiscates the main lady's Mia's passport so that Mia can't leave Spain and and apparently keeps hold of her passport for a majority of the film but we, we are never actually being shown that that Ellie gives the passport back, but after after the halfway mark, there, there is the the heartbreak sh- scene in in Barcelona where it's where it temporarily looks like that the relationship between Mia and Ellie is not gonna fall through through, and at that point, Ellie uh, Mia is 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 um, is downright suicidal, and Ellie is is desperately looking for her from Barcelona. And they make the remark that Ellie should go to the go to the embassy and look for Mia there, which at least to me screams that the fucking passport hasn't even still been returned back to Mia. Mm. And in Barcelona, this is a healthy romantic action to done to other pe- person. Like, I, I guess that's why human traffickers, you know, take take people's passports. Because because of the big heart that they all have. But it's uh, romantic feelings yeah. and shit. Romantic feelings and, and shit and this whole control of of the lady in many of these films that especially maybe Crazy Beautiful You and and Barcelona where Ellie thinks that he is now saving the lady from what looks to be a suicide situation and then just grabs the lady and, and is about to, you know, carry her out of the metro station. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and for some reason all, all, all the passerbys are completely cool with this. Yeah, because it's romantic and sexy. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. But yeah, Ellie, Ellie taking Mia's passport and keeping hold of it, it it's perhaps the most insidious thing that, that I see in I, I I've seen in in today's today's catalog of five movies, the male lead doing. It's 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 kinda of competing with 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 she's the dating the gangster, I'm publicly threatening to kill myself stunt. I, I don't know which one is 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 the worst, but they, they are most definitely like like the first place for being in serious shit back. That the competition is between th- these two stunts. Yeah, threatening to kill yourself. It's romantic if you're a kid. It it's it's romantic. <laughs> Remember guys, if if the lady doesn't soften up to you on the first try, publicly threaten to kill yourself until she budgets. Works every time. Works every time. If it doesn't, you know, steal the passport. <laughs> per- perhaps also threaten to kill her family. And if even that doesn't work out, you know, I don't know, do a school shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Life lessons from Filipino films. <laughs> I can see how you could have like a, a remake of this film as a parody. <laughs> but getting maybe back to Crazy Beautiful You. <laughs> <laughs> we are getting sidetracked a lot. It's almost like there's not much to talk about in Crazy Beautiful You. <laughs> well, well, they get to the poor village and they're taking these shitty photographs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it just happens that um, she starts to understand the meaning of life. It's just kind of a Terminator storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Terminator 2 did this bit better. And it's an action movie where two robots shoot each other in the fucking face. <laughs> yeah. And uh, someone is bleeding badly, but Madame Baby drives the car and she solves the incident by finding out that it was just her first period. So, lady, <laughs> lady power <laughs> at the scene. Which also was a scene to behold. <laughs> <laughs> There's this kind of a turning point line around 40 minutes or something into the film. Where Jackie goes, like, they, they already have no food to eat, and yet they're giving it away. And for what? And then Padilla goes, for love. This changes everything for our girl character. Yeah. She, she's, yeah. she's changing from Terminator to a human. She, she realizes that you don't starve if you have love. Yeah. <laughs> love conquers all. All. I, I guess they just... I guess the guess, guess the cancer patient just didn't love enough in she's dating the gangster. All you need is love and homeopathy. <laughs> just, just believe in it. Yeah. Don't go to the hospital, try those those natural remedies. <laughs> yes, so so she cries behind the camera and all that and but that's that's not because she's feeling sorry for the kid who who is hurt but it's because of some personal matters with mom <laughs> i was confused i was like rooting for her yes you're feeling things but oh it wasn't that feeling no 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 it, it wasn't like like she saw the beauty in, in poor people <laughs> being be tucked away in, in a camp in the middle of a desert nothing is ever difficult if it's for the people you love yeah but 
So yeah, after a little issues with Mama, Madame Baby returns to the village willingly and states that it's because of your, for New York. I want to get to New York. But it's not for New York, really. Kiko has her in her arms. The love is getting delirious. and uh, Then the mayor's other son, Marcus, arrives to wreak havoc at 109. Just on time, you know, the, the middle point twist comes here. The tertiary gate crusher is on. And uh, Kiko tries to give Madame Baby to Marcus because he's too selfless, like way too selfless. The guy, get a creep. You can't be that good. There are limits. Uh, there's a moment where Marcus is drunk, almost fights with brother, but uh, yeah, the Kiko tells how it is. Just for once, give me this lady. And uh, could it be the only moment proper where Padilla's character breaks down? He says, I get tired sometimes too. It's, I believe making coffee for the mama or something. And I only need a mother now. And tears, tears. It, actually, from from five films. So it's like a proper breakdown. Well, well, there, there, there's a... There, there, actually, there are... For, for Padilla's characters, there are exactly two... Two breakup uh, breakup scenes that I can remember from from these these inter- five films, like five movies in total. That the second one would be in in the the House of Us when when he sheds like a tear, maybe perhaps two three marks, when he asks from from George if if George wants to for him to get the fuck out of the house and and leave her be. Yeah, but Catherine Bernardo saves the day with the tears and actually is tearing up so much in these movies that she could single-handedly create her own Dead Sea with that. <laughs> well, perhaps, perhaps that's that, that's the reason why, why they work so well together <laughs> and why, why they have stayed together also off-screen. Like Daniel has has stolen Catherine's passport and refuses to give it back, and Catherine is the one who can cry for for the both of them. <laughs> okay, so everything seems to be good now in the poor land, and Madame Baby leaves the village <laughs> in an emotional scene, crying with the little kids. Actually, I gotta give kudos for these kids for acting in this film. I think they're they're, they're cute. I I like those characters. Yeah, yeah. They can, of course, once again, perhaps the, the whole poor village setup is something that... I don't know if you could do that in, in Western cinema anymore. No, yeah. Like, there, at least there would be a backlash if you would do this stuff. Like you, would, you would go into in, into the slums or, or, I don't know, refugee camp and just use them as a prop in, in, in your shitty rom-com. Yeah, could be. And then just before the closing of the film, one thirty-eight, Kiko and the mayor daddy settle things. Oh, I don't need to call you anymore, mayor. You're actually my f- dad. Wow, that that is a big step. But I'm happy for them. And then Marcus is giving his blessings. Go on a date. Go. And Madame Baby says also that I want to stay. 
she's about to go to the to the to the airport or what is she doing? But yeah, then they meet at the city and no kiss. Roll credits. I kind of have a kind of a soft spot for Crazy Beautiful You because it's not trying anything crazy. It doesn't have like two embedding storylines like in She's Dating the Gangster. Just keeping it very simple. And it has this third party gate crusher and it's just very simple and, and the locations are good. I don't know. To me, uh, Crazy Beautiful You did actually nothing. Like, uh, I, I kind of found Crazy Beautiful You to be the most kind of skippable, at mm-hmm. least for me, on, on the lineup. I watched this in the in the order that in, in the least order that that you posted. So must be love was the first one. She's dating a gangster. Second, Crazy Beautiful You would was was the third film for me. Barcelona and the House of Us, mm. and it might be of course simply you know due to fatigue. Uh, that may be something that shows up. In, in my reactions to these films. Must Be Love may get some undeserved credit from my end, simply by by the virtue of it being the first film I checked out. Yeah. And, and well, well, she's dating the gangster stuck with me because of all that insult shit that went went on. Barcelona caught my eye because, because of the, the hideous, hideous carrying... Uh, passed out woman all around the city and stealing her passport stuff. <laughs> and and the house of us I kind of found it perhaps be, being the best of, of of the lineup. Okay. So and that that for me that leaves leaves Crazy Beautiful You as as the one in the middle. That kinda do, does the thi- does the exactly the wrong things but doesn't do doesn't really go into the territory of of problematic like like she's dating the gangster or Barcelona, and because of that, it, per- perhaps this is the most milk toast movie. Yeah, for me, it's keeping it very simple, and there there's nothing like ad- additionally maybe interesting. Like in the House of Us, there is this relationship that is extremely broken and they gotta fix it somehow you don't really even believe it that they could fix this anymore and barcelona has that all whole expat thing going on but crazy beautiful you is just a whole lot of nothing really but i'm biased too here probably because because crazy beautiful you was the first that i saw from this couple okay fourth film of tonight Barcelona, A Love Untold from 2016. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> the film is directed by Olivia Lamassan, a highly experienced, qualified, respected director and the managing director of ABS-CBN Film Productions. And she's the director of In the Name of Love and Starting Over Again, the two being some of the highest grossing Filipino films of all time. Cinematography is by Herman Clarival, known for overseeing the DP responsibilities also for Affliction, a Pinoy horror film. Screenwriters are the director Lamasan herself and Carmi Raimundo once again. Raimundo is also the producer writer for She's 
for She's Dating the Gangster, Crazy Beautiful You, Hello, Love, Goodbye, and the TV rom-com The House Arrest of Us, which is the latest project with Kath Neal. Yeah, it's a it's a, some kind of a play for, of words with the, the House of Us. Now it's The House Arrest of Us, which deals with ha-ha-ha COVID, so they need to be inside the house all the time with. The two families are inside the household all the time, and of course the families hate each other. Well, quite appropriately, we're looking at a film shot in Barcelona, now that I'm here close by, living in Malaga, in Spain. First episode recorded from here. But I'm afraid that this film doesn't quite capture Barcelona. To be honest, every time they're outside, you don't, you barely get any kind of uh, larger shots to get an idea of what kind of place this is. They pretty well miss all the, the famous spots that I would go and visit and film. It doesn't really scream romantic comedy to me. Yeah, Barcelona is is kind of weird one. Like I I know a romantic comedy was was the genre we were supposed to to go with today. And Barcelona does have some attempts at comedy at times in it, but I I'm not certain if if Barcelona is a romantic comedy. No, and where are those beautiful shots of the Sagrada Familia? Where are those beautiful shots from the edge of Park Well? Why why are they not doing it? Yeah, I I was I, I, I was wondering that too. Hmm. Because the whole whole thing of of Barcelona is that the production now has gone abroad, and and they are shooting in in Barcelona, and ba- basically the the only usage they they get from that setup, uh, outside of the the expect nature of the story arc, is, is the fact that they 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 use like one side of Sagrada Familia. Yeah, and and unfortunately for for Familia, it happens to be perhaps the ugliest fucking viewpoint that you can find of the building. You think? Isn't it from the I, front? But in yeah. in my opinion, yeah. Yeah. Like like I I do know that that Sagrada Familia is is historically and architecturally important building, mm. and I do know. Or at least I'm under a fairly, I'm really, yeah. Even even another side of the building could have helped a lot here. Yeah. Or, or using a different angle and to to make make matters worse, to make matters worse. Uh, Barcelona's the, the narrative kind of hinges upon, or not hinges upon, but a large part of the of the narrative framework here is that the main main dude Eli is studying architecture <laughs> and and then then in in the architecture film film of of Kathniel you actually when the architecture is being presented it's presented in the absolute worst possible light and how about some quick large wide angle aerial shot when they get off the metro station because I believe they are at the, at the location of the very famous square, and I think you would like to capture that. But this this is made to look as as glamorous as 
salatut elämät, tii soap TV show from Finland. <laughs> which which those, those who are not familiar, familiar with it, the, the international listeners, salatut elämät, the secret lives, it's a Finnish TV soap, and the cinematography is some of the worst you see in Finland. <laughs> Or at least was, was like, what, two decades, how long the fucking, fucking series is. Something I, like I that. checked out like like two episodes from the very first season, and and the cinematography was absolutely abysmal. <laughs> and and like like Barcelona, it's it's it was filmed 2016. Like like drones existed. Yeah, there are some aerial shots, but no, not working. No, <laughs> and 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 something that's also not working is is the hidden talents that the the main characters are supposed to to possess in in the film like this this does in in crazy beautiful you we were i i was laughing at at the the photography of of our main lead lady jackie uh barcelona kind of kind of does does the the gender flip here at first because it turns out that in in barcelona it's it's the male it's the man eli Who has has who get, who gets a gets a lot lot of kudos for doing something where he has no talent at all? Like Eli has at, at some point in his life, Eli has once opened Windows Movie Maker and and tried to like your clip art animations, and the result is some kind of an animatic masterpiece <laughs> that that has a, has a huge effect on. On not not just the main main lady of the film Mia, but also basically to everyone else. And Eli goes around Barcelona, just you know, handing DVD copies of of his fucking sapper. I don't know fuck, fuck, what they even even used to make the animated feature, but. God damn! He he goes around handing handing DVD copies of his animated film to to people, and I it, it's supposed to have like this this huge life changing emotional impact on people. And you sure are not giving any slack for a low budget Filipino film. <laughs> God damn! Like I I said this with Crazy Beautiful You. I I say it also with Barcelona. I'm not any kind of a you know animator. But but I would would be able to do a better performance than than the highly celebrated animation movie that that Barcelona is is hinting at. Like ser- ser- seriously, Philippines, I can I can I can do your your <laughs> shitty rom coms animated feature features like fuck fuck I'm about fifty bucks fifty bucks and I animate for you. There you go. Offer is on the table. Offer is on the table. Daniel Padilla, as mentioned, plays Ely, or Ely, Antonio. Catherine Bernardo as Mia de la Torre. And then Aiko Melendez plays uh, Insiang. 77 credits on IMDb. Long career since the early 80s. So she started as a child actress. She's a Japanese-Filipino actress and is a former politician. Then we have Joshua Garcia, plays Toning, the little brother of Ely. 
He's also a dancer and commercial model. He rose to the map via the film Vince and Kath and James, a top grosser teen romance, and the TV crime drama series The Good Son, where he played a lead as well. Now that we've got that out of the way, what do we have here? Well, the, the film has garnered mixed reviews. Some blame this for a confusing or mechanical, unsatisfying build-up, but some even praise this film. Well, nevertheless, this is the film where I see them enter into a bit more mature roles, and they still do good performances in this new setting. The theme, though, I, I find it thematically maybe the most interesting out of these films, but not the best film. The feelings of living abroad, the, the conflict of having to leave a family behind... There are some good moral stories here to be found about work ethic and not giving up, but the, the ethics may go out of the window of being kind of a bitch to the lady. And uh, the stories about being noticed, stories about pride and the hard light of life of Pinois when they go abroad to the UAE, which is one of the prime destinations for Filipinos or, or, the, or Spain and for other groups it might sometimes go like this and sorting out your shit out before being able to love again which is not handled well in this film and uh, neither is handled well the whole expat life because at the end the film goes like well this was a terrible idea here i am family in your arms again this was a shit show let's just be back in in the philippines being expat is wrong yeah, yeah, but but you know, give, give some to give some appraise to to Barcelona. At least it it manages to avoid you know play, playing the the dirty rapist foreigner stereotype by well placing it itself in 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 Barcelona where it's the dirty rapist local. So I. I, I guess that that's something. What's the dirty rapist local? The, it's it's the the night cafe scene. Uh, Mia has been kicked out uh, from from the flat that she has been sharing with with another Filipino, and she's at the cafe asking help from from some dude who is not a Filipino. Yeah, but it's established uh, and, and that pass- so- somehow she would be the, the boss of this guy. I don't know how that really works because she's out of a job. I, I, I don't know either. But anyway, she passes out on, on the table. And, and the dude goes like full rape mode activated. I'm just going to carry the lady out. I just read it as he wants to help, but the, he has some other stuff to carry as well i i don't know but uh, it seemed to me that he was just being like a helping hand here, here the padilla's character let me take care of this instead i i didn't get that because in that same moment eli is supposed to play the knight in the shining armor who saves mia from the danger mm. but to, to i i read the scenes the way that eli notices a, a dangerous situation me, passed out Mia is gonna be be essentially date raped here and decides to step in and drives the dude off and then carries 
Mia, well, essentially to his to his own apartment and also takes the passport away because romance. I just read that Ellie essentially sees Mia, and that's the reason for him to carry her home, his own home. Okay, to 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 <laughs> me, it 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 was it was Eli saving Mia from being raped. The scene. Nevertheless, inciting incident is here really quickly, again at the four to five minute mark when, <laughs> oh when my God. Ellie, Ellie finds Mia. Uh, <coughs> Love struck. Actually, actually, actually the, the, stalking. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess the inciting incident of, of the film is when Eli first, first time sees Mia in a, in a subway. Yeah. And if uh, and and this this gets gets a bit tricky. Please take note that these films very heavily uh, rely on the the love on the first sight concept. Uh, they even make literal references to this by we in in the previous films, like with the with the lines that your eyes are the first thing that fall that you know fall in love. Or there must be a love's whole slow mo moment thing, where you know, essentially, just all of that is just enforcing that the love on the first side is the true love notion. And Barcelona also kinda, kinda does this as Eli sees, sees Mia on on the subway, and immediately is is taken by her. Uh, but unfortunately in Barcelona, uh, the reason why that happens is because Mia happens to, to remind Eli of, of his, his dead ex-girlfriend. Who looks like a photocopy. Who looks like a photocopy and that's where the, where the romance starts. Which, uh, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not certain. Is is this like tipping your toes in necrophilia? <laughs> like like granted Mia Mia is very much alive, but the person you are projecting upon her is is your dead girlfriend. So is is this like 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 fucking the corpse by proxy? <laughs> it doesn't seem like a healthy start and <laughs> you could have gone into so many directions with this plot. Yeah, uh, please, please, Olivia Lamasan and uh, Carmi Raimundo, who are responsible for, for the script, if, if you ever, by any chance, come across this, this episode, please, you know, contact us on, on, on the FlickLab Facebook page. You can just be, a, you know, send us a private message. I'm, I'm desperate to know, is, is, is this necrophilia or what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. It's romance. <laughs> it's it's romance. <laughs> There's an odd flashback of Mia as a child with her brother at the grave of a dog. And I think the film never <laughs> returns to this point. It has no relation to anything whatsoever. Well, well, there's a grave. It, it yeah. makes thematic sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there is a bit of this plot points that we never get into conclusion they're just there to confuse you a bit or make it seem more rich than it actually is. I, I guess they are trying to drive for some kind of a dramatic depth in in the characters. 
<laughs> like, like showing you that the character has gone through a dramatic moment. Yeah. But but unfortunately, nothing ever comes from these moments. And then the backstory flashback of uh, Celine getting shot accidentally by some weirdo. Yeah, yeah, which which also is is like at at least that flashback moment or, or that past event, it does actually play a role in the story and it does play mm. a role in in Eli's character. Because the, the 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 whole thing with Eli is that Eli blames himself for the fact that Celine got shot previously, and also Celine's family is is kind of guilt tripping Eli, I guess, to stay virgin, <laughs> in in by, by not directly, but but kind of emotionally demanding that Eli stays true to to the dead Celine and does not start another relationship. Eli falling with falling for Mia is one of those those high dramatic moments in in the film where Eli also has to has to go to to Celine Celine's parents and apologize for the fact that he has now developed feelings for another woman. And and the mom doesn't really take it all that well and then the dad kind of kind of a, gives an absolution to Eli and he say, says that we we still want you to be happy. Yeah. So if you have another woman now, it's it's okay even though it's it break breaks our hearts. Oh my god. So yeah, what was that? So indeed, the kind of a midpoint big twist which is kind of late at that this time appearing at 131 in the film. Uh, Auntie has found that or auntie, auntie, has found that Eli, Eli, Ellie is hanging out with a girl that looks just like the late Celine, their late Celine. And somehow this is a really, really, really bad thing, somehow. And the, mm-hmm. the relationship becomes now strained also, somehow. And the visa is also about to expire, everything goes to shit in like two minutes. And a younger brother's tantrum about never wanting to come to Barcelona in the first place, which kind of has nothing to do with nothing. Yeah, yeah, that was weird moment also. Yeah. Like, what the hell was going on there? <laughs> it's just the midpoint big twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it's it's the three act the three act structure in the second act. The the characters kind of have to reach the low point. Yeah, because there had been absolutely nothing going on in the last 30 <laughs> minutes, so you you got to have conflict somehow. Oh, boy. And now both of their parents want them to come home at the same time. Uh, some disaster moments to add to the plot with Mama as Mia as has, has arranged her and Eli to meet in a restaurant. He didn't want it. And Mia is like, well, I just wanted to set your relationship right. And what the hell do you know about my private life? Good point. A good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, like, what, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah, that's the 10 minutes, like, everything goes to disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and 142. <laughs> yeah, this is the stop acting like you know my pain. Yep. And then 146, Mia almost kills herself, but then doesn't. 
that, that was also a scene to behold. <laughs> I I would have actually actually given given Barcelona more points if Mia would have just jumped at that moment. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Mia and Celine. <laughs> then Eli could could come come to the to the subway station and start scrapping Mia's body body from the all from the tracks and be like you look exactly like Celine and now you are moist dark <laughs> it, it would have been since since you wanna you know do do this tone tonal twists movie you know that would have been one one departure where to take it. <laughs> I wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen that one coming. Yeah, I do like when movies have this kind of a, uh, combining completely different <laughs> genres. And, and then the crisis of separation, it, it's a bit weird. I, I hope in time we will meet again in my story. And then she goes back to the Philippines to see the, the family. And then this whole evil mom thing is sorted out. The, the, the mom who wants to... Throw those checks all around. Everything is sorted out by kind of a crying scene where Eli is like, here is my work of art that I I, I had been preparing <laughs> yeah, for you. <laughs> Here's the fucking DVD copy of my shitty animated film. Watch this. <laughs> I didn't buy that this mummy is now like, it, it's not possible to repair a mom like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe 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 seeing seeing the animated film was a wake up call for her. <laughs> like really, like she she saw the saw, saw the quality of 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 the feature and was like, oh hell, I really have to step in now. <laughs> this is a cry for help, if anything. Yeah, just play along, mom. Play along. Okay, so lead characters both go home and they're sorry that they ever left. And I hated this moment. Like, mm-hmm. why do they need to be sorry for living their own lives? Because they weren't living their own lives in Philippines. And do you remember these flashbacks when uh, the Mia character remembers just before almost jumping off the platform, the father throwing all kinds of insults that you are nothing, <laughs> you are worthless, yeah, you are a shame for the family. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. Yeah. And and hates her. And then she goes back and he's like, I'm sorry, Papa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because because you were the one who was at wrong in that moment. And and the reason for that that, that giant ass as freak out from her dad's part was that that Mia had cheated on te- on a test. Right, right, he found out? Yeah. Oh. He 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 found I, I don't remember if it was the school who had catched up on the Well the school for had. sure knew and uh, Eli knew as well from some source yeah but yeah yeah but essentially that that's the major crime be- behind me that that's what uh, that the, like Barcelona star kind of the case with Mia is that she has run away from home all the way to Barcelona mm-hmm. because of this this dark secret this monkey on her back and she can't go home because because he's because because her dad is is so upset with her and refuses to make any contact. And then it turns out that that 
the reason for that is that Mia has once cheated on one exam. Bad, bad. Bad, bad. You, you have to do a fucking seppuku now. How can you disgrace this family so deeply? And the climax of Act 2, everything sorted out as they meet. Meet at a set in the Philippines, supposedly. And there's been like this 5 to 10 minute segment where they have been in their home country and uh, sorting their shit out emotionally and with the family. And now it's time to say, I truly love you because I love you. That's it. And two years later, they're at the Sagrada Familia. And will you marry me? Roll credits. Yeah. And before we, you know, escape to our final film for today, mm. I also have to point out that the Barcelona has that plot point when Mia becomes some kind of a production assistant and scriptwriter for commercial shorts and artistic short films. But those films all suck. <laughs> they were obnoxious to watch. <laughs> the House of Us, the fifth film for tonight. I, I raised my hat for you that you watched also the that I was putting as the optional choice as the movie to watch for this episode that was Must Be Love. So here we are, f- five films of rom-com. The House of Us, 2018 film, directed by Kathy Garcia Molina, the director of She Stayed in the Gangster and Hello, Love, Goodbye. And the cinematography is by Noel T. Hankey, also did Hello, Love, Goodbye. Screenwriters are again Carmi Raimundo, hi, and the director and Gillian Ebrio, another rom-com writer. Music by Jesse Lassaten, composed also the music for Must Be Love, Can't Help Falling in Love, and Hello, Love, Goodbye. Okay, what do we have here as th- thematics, Henrik? Uh, from today's films, uh, even though Barcelona had an uh, throw an entire dead lady at your face, I th- I think how mm, the House of Us is is the hardest, like oh, emotionally yeah. wise, the the darkest film. It's a it's a mixture of of your wacky romantic comedy. And a serious drama film. Um, essentially, to, to give you a quick rundown of the plot, as as we already previously mentioned, there's there's a debating competition where our main characters George and Primo meet for the first time. They fall in love almost immediately after you know thro- uh, calling each other uh, each other with. Actually, quite toxic stereotypes, but you know, love happens. And it turns out that a kind of a spin from our previous films, where where the dude is supposed to be super hardworking and and the la- and the woman is the one who has to learn to to do work and take responsibility. In in the House of Us, it turns out that it's the it's the woman George who. Is is the hardworking one, while while Primo is is the more of a dreamer, wants to chase his dreams about music career, and mm. those two two personalities clash as as George who tries to chuckle between work and and prepping for to in and prepping for tests in order to, to be able to study medicine, feels that Primo is, is not 
really supporting and carrying his weight in the relationship, leading them separating. And Primo vanishes somewhere into the thin air for X number of years, while George becomes a career woman who is really co close at, at getting into medical school. And, well, this is the moment where, where the film properly starts. All of a sudden, Primo shows up at, at the house where that, she, uh, that he and George once shared together. And George is in progress, uh, in, in, the, in the process of selling the house. Primo tries to stop the sale from going through. And now, after this long separation, they once again have to kind of live together. And, well, the main question really comes down to, well, will the old feelings be rejuvenated, and will they once again get back together? Yeah, this is a weird step for the film, that they give up the house, because there were only two... Two goddamn wishes <clears throat> from the late mom towards the couple that please stay together until the end of times. Not so hard to do, right? And second is easier. Just cling on to the house. They promise to cling on to the house. Of course, then they sell the, the house for respectable grounds to get this little kid to meet his father, who is in a grave anyway. But uh, yeah. Um. It's a kind of a bummer. At the end of the film, okay, they have each other, but the house and all the memories of that, it's gone. You know, where are they going to go now? Who knows? Who, who knows? It's actually a good question. Maybe it's a good thing, but I just felt that, you know, this they kind of lost something important to them. Yeah, yeah, that that's a interesting remark to, to make because, well... <sighs> Once again, to get back to the, the way how these films are structured. After the film ends, you, the credit starts to roll. And much like, for example, in, in old Jackie Chan movies, when the credits roll, you get B-movie material of the scenes that didn't end up in the film because something goofy happened in, in the scenes. Like the, the actor started to laugh at the mi middle of a sentence or... Or, you know, the boom mic hit the wall or something like this. These funny antics. Bloopers. You, you have a whole reel of these, these moments as the credits roll. And the House of Us actually takes a departure from this. It, it still has, has, you know, the reel going on with the end credits. But in, House of, in the House of Us... It's actually something that still relates to plot. It the, the, the real as you are watching the, the, the credits roll, the film itself is still wrapping up because there's a long discussion that that George and Primo are having with the with the new owner of the house, mm -hmm. where they talk about what the house means to them and also about love and relationship uh, all together. Like the new owner is is giving them the life advices that you just have to stick together and love will hold you together if you just let it, mm. and that that whole segment, I I took it that it's the film trying to tell the audience that Primo and George 
despite losing their house, they are still in a good place and they are moving forward. And losing the house was not really that that devastating or that hard thing for them at the end. Like it's it's kind of giving mm. the giving the audiences an emotional absolution for 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 the fact that the characters lost the house in course of the film. And that's kind of a interesting note to end your film, especially since as, since as you pointed out, the film itself does not manage to tell you what happens to these characters from 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 the house setting point onwards. Like where are they gonna go physically? Where are they now physically as characters? And since the film doesn't tell you this, now it tries to give you kind of an emotional closure on on the moment where it shows both George Primo and the new owner of the house being completely sin and okay with the fact that they no longer have the house. At least the old lady has given her promise that she will take care of the house. And yeah, unlike yeah. the couple who was unable to. Yeah, and at, at least she has a lot of flowers. So there is going to be a colorful flower bed surrounding the house, you know. Yeah, I guess they're going to go to Amsterdam, you know, those tulips. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. You, like, Amsterdam is a legit possibility for these characters because, uh, once again, story-wise, especially for George, Amsterdam and the goddamn tulips were supposed to be a major emotional thing. That was something that, that she had always wanted to go and something that she had always wanted to see. And vice versa to Primo, Amster, who actually has gone to Amsterdam, Amsterdam was supposed to be some kind of a place of spiritual and emotional healing. Like a place where he learns to take responsibility and where he sheds the, the I want to chase my dream and become a musician side of himself, finds hu- humility, and then from Amsterdam, he returns back to George at the very beginning of the film to, as a new man, try to win her back. Mm. So the Amsterdam for these characters, it's a major location. And therefore, them... <sighs> Selling the house and returning back to Amsterdam would be a legit possibility. And I can't understand why the film does not tell you this. Like, why doesn't it show you Hmm. the characters returning back to Amsterdam? That's a good point. Could have ended with that note. Like some kind of shot then boarding the plane and going there, living happily ever after. Regarding the tulips, is it the film just trying to show us that nothing is really going according to our plans here in Amsterdam. The father is dead and I can't have my tulips. Nothing is really going as as things go in the movies. <laughs> so, uh, or is it just that they happened to be filming there at the wrong time and were unable to find the goddamn tulips? I'm guessing that it, it tries to kind of... It tries to do two things. It, it tries to have this more realistic spin as this is the, the emotionally hardest and hard-hitting films of these, and also the one that perhaps aims a, aims most at a realistic depiction of life. Mm. So 
by everything going tits up in Amsterdam, it's trying to give you that 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 realism. Yeah. Like of of course you don't eventually find your dad from Amsterdam and he has passed away because you know life does not work like a r- typical rom-com. And at the same time it tries to show you that even though you don't get what you wanted in the beginning, you can still kind of find something new from the situation. Like George has always wanted to see tulips in Amsterdam and when they finally reach the flower fields it turns they they find out that it's the wrong season and George can't see get, get the tulips and then they turn around and they see the summer flowers that are now blooming right behind them and that's also a really colorful and beautiful uh, flower field and they can walk walk amongst that field of flowers now. So it's kind of like, I didn't get the tulips, but if I turn around, I can still, you know, there's still beauty and and possibilities for me. And a quote, even my fart was proud, was inserted in in this scene. I have no idea what the context was, but I was so confused. Why is this fart being talked about here? Well, it it was a really beautiful fart, I guess. Yeah, way to ruin the moment. Yeah, <laughs> way, way, way to way to take the moment and and the feeling and just drive it head first to a brick wall. Yeah, what what is it with Filipino rom coms and farts? Seriously, random farts. <laughs> well, well, I I guess Filipinos have w- been watching American comedy films, unfortunately, really shit comedy films, and gotten under the impression that fart is automatically funny. It's not. It's not. So stop. Yeah. We have an inciting incident in three minutes in this film. Must be a record. They start with the middle part of the film when Primo has returned to the flat that they own 50-50 and the vase is flying in the air towards his face. Then we have the sexist beginning at the school, the so-called argumentation. They visit the mom's grave in broken clothes, whatever. Then the band member leaves the band because no money coming in. I believe this is the kind of the act two starting point. And the angry phone call, I'd rather die than do something I don't want to. Throws the phone around or something. Then Primo gets drunk and she loses her possibility to go to the exams to get into this to this university or yeah. high school. A bit later, Primo returns to the town. There's a disagreement about selling the house and the, the foreplay between the characters sort of starts here. Middle point, big twist. They kiss uh, and she pulls back. Her feelings are not yet p- properly propagated, so we just have to wait one hour more for that to happen. Some obstacles happen here. We have the loss of the vision of the kid. A total subplot at this point wants to see dad. We find out we get softer feelings between the characters. The the couple talks by the stairs. They're in so, some sort of amicable terms. Then house is sold, yippee motherfucker, and then they go to Amsterdam. The Amsterdam takes hold of the hold of the story. At this point, you're like, why? But it's for the characters to have some private time by the flowers. And of course, there's the playing the music by the street. Mm. The song is, of course, all about her and 
and then <laughs> all this talking to her ear that listen how how hard times this this primo has had while she oh, he's been yeah. away how rough yeah, his life's he's, been yeah he's his dad died and i got uh, a stroke uh, but survived had, had a stroke and he has he had to take his dad's job uh, job and clean toilets and he's He had to give up music, and and his dog died, and and the goldfishes eat each other, and it was raining the entire time, and oh my gosh! Yeah, collecting uh, food from the rubbish bin. Yeah, and I I couldn't get past the fact I couldn't get past the fact that during this moment that the film calls a special notice the fact that Primo is playing original Filipino song. He he states it out yeah. to the whole group of listeners, and I, I don't know what that song is, but I was listening to it, and by God, the the rhythm of the song is eerily similar to to Katri Helena's song "Katson Audiota Hiakranta." Is that a cover, by the way, or is it original? It it, it I. To to my understanding, Katrina's song is is actually original. It's it's not cover of anything. Yeah. But but what Primo plays, it's almost like soft acoustic cover of Katson Audiota Hiakranta. And I'm just going there like, yeah, original Filipino song. I I I see what you did there, you sneaky bastard. Yeah, you just went to Finland and took Katrina's song. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> Maybe not though. But most most likely, most likely that that didn't happen. I'm I'm full full I'm fully willing to you know give this to Justin you know an accidental occurrence. When you think about the melody of that song, could be in a million songs. Most likely that been in million songs, but you know. That that's it. <laughs> Did it win any favors from me by by playing that song? It was like okay. That that this is something that I didn't expect to witness and and hear on a Filipino rom com. And while Katri Helena is playing, she is getting the having the the ability emotionally to kind of level with him and see like eyes opened. Oh yeah, he has had it rough. This this is this is a bad thing, and maybe I should actually start a relationship. Start the relationship because he, because he has had a rough patch in life. Yeah. <sighs> <clears throat> yeah. That that was just so shoehorned. Like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> This guy has had it really fucking bad. It's 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 made even worse by the fact that it's it's Primo's friend. Yeah. Who is literally standing behind George and and literally whispering to his ear? Yeah. How how bad life Primo has been having? Yeah. It, it's it's like almost literally, god, god damn, the devil on your shoulder. If only real life would work <laughs> like that, you just switch the volume button a little bit, put the music out a little bit, and you can hear your friend. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I I I know that that pe- people have have this concept of wingman. 
who is who is a person who is supposed to help you when you are trying to woo the ladies, and that that dude right there, that that's a wingman, like ace level wingman. Maybe he was hired by Primo. Please say those. I things. I wouldn't be surprised if that would have been a plot point. Player, 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 player. So they come back and there's this timeless love collection vinyl lying on the wooden boards of the flat and <laughs> there's a letter inside. She reads it something about how I love you and I can't live without you and did did he also mention that he did something great for the for the mom kind of gave money away for, to kind of pay for the operation or something like that. Uh It makes a notion that she uh, he has given the money away for a right purpose. I never exactly was certain what that purpose was. Yeah, I'm no. I'm guessing it was because for for the, for the operation, but I'm not entirely certain because that scene is kind of being told kind of hastily. Mm. Like like the, the the band members are there with Primo. And and being kind of grateful, acting kind of grateful to, towards Primo, and and being like I'm certain that she will understand, mm. but you're never actually given the full context where the money has just gone. Yeah, and when he was completely drunk and on the ground, the the film is kind of trying to shoehorn in the fact that all the time Primo was. Like, please follow your dream and please stay in the car and take the exam. Yeah, like with with the with the letter, what happened is that it 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 the the letter is supposed to reframe a a bunch of scenes that you have seen at the beginning of the film. Mm. Like you, the the way how the narrative works is that at the beginning of the film, George is telling telling the audience how. How the relationship be- between her and Primo ended. How George became less affectionate with Primo, and to, to show you this this deterioration of of their relationship, you are shown a series of clips from from their relationship, where one of them is is the one you mentioned or just mentioned. Uh, George has has the medical exam and. Or or ha- has the exams in order to get to medical school, and Primo is is drunk and he can't stand up, he can't walk straight because of his drunkness. And George gets on the on the bus that's supposed to take her to to wherever the exam is is to take place, but has to get off the pl- bus because Primo just can't can't even stand straight, can't even st- you know stand. Or in that moment, and because of that, George loses lo- loses her chance for that year to apply for medical school. Another scene that plays out in the beginning is is the uh, also seen mentioned previously. Primo is having a phone call with someone, and George hears how Primo is yelling to that other person how he rather die than give up his dreams and do something that. He does not want to do for a living, mm. and then here at the letter scene, both of these scenes get get reframed. Like you get you are 
been offered the, the hidden information that George did not get in in the beginning of the film. You, you are now show, being shown the whole truth. And, well, when it comes to Primo being head as drunk, well, that's now revealed that in that moment, Primo was like, don't get out of the bus mm-hmm. to, to himself. When it comes to that phone call, it's now shown that Primo was having a phone call with his dad, who was yelling at him that that Primo is wasting his life and he should just get any job, no matter matter how scrappy it is, and he should, you know, get into the the hotel toilet cleaning business just so that he would do any job and not waste his time by by chasing his dreams as a musician and primo yelling that he will would rather die than give up his dreams is a is an emotional response to what his dad said to him and i can relate to to this this that is it's really sad in a way to see that primo has to give up his dreams a bit to be the kind of character that would stand in a relationship I'll keep a relationship going. I guess the, those are the choices that you have to make. It, it It is a bit sad, but at the same time, it's also reinforcing yeah. one of the, the, once again, cliches that we have seen in all of these films, which this time around is the fetishization of the concept of, of you being a hard worker. Because what that reframing and in the letter scene is supposed to show you is that Primo is is not really he's he's not a lazy person and he's not someone who who would truly do everything in his power in order to chase his re- dreams and because of that he wouldn't you know start cleaning up toilets. The, the, the whole point is in that moment is is to reframe Primo as a hard-working person who is not above cleaning up toilets. So and, and therefore it's once again it's it's fetishizing this whole concept that you have to be super hardworking and your basically your value as a human being is is tied down to exactly how much work you are willing to put up and do and and exactly what how kind of a grimy work you are willing to do like mm. like, like but the previous films also do this that they in in those previously it has been fetishizing the 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 concept of work through them through the the lady characters of the movie in in Barcelona the the main lady has to like like her value in that movie is being shown to you piece by piece by her picking up different jobs and doing one job two job three jobs at at the same time Eli is is being lifted up on the pedestal from the from the get go in that film. By by the fact that he's also doing like three different jobs at the same and and studying at the same time. In crazy beautiful, crazy beautiful, you Jackie's whole ima- emotional healing 
and and rebuilding of her character happens through her actively taking part in the poor people camp and her starting to to do something and using her for a hobby of photography in 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 a professional quality uh, you know be, be, being a, a photographer who can have have a show of her work and who can who can take photographs for important people in in she's dating the gangster uh, also there that the, the need for be to be a hard worker is not highlighted so much but it also is brought up especially with the adult versions of the characters and well must be love what was again but shots basically one major part of Pachot's character there is the fact that she's working hard on her dad's business. Yeah, that is true. And there's a lot to be fixed in this film. And it's almost yeah, unbelievable that they are able to overcome all that has happened. It seemed really murky. He left under the circumstances when she herself was completely broken down and didn't know what to do and money was being wasted by by him and he wasn't doing anything useful just chasing his dreams and unfortunately it wasn't wasn't working out getting drunk and she wasn't able to study which is probably a big hindrance also to to do money maybe that would have been financed by by the family somehow and now perhaps that's not gonna happen so how is she going to feed herself that, that that is a tough position to to repair but they're able to do that yeah and i uh, for one didn't buy that one that like them rebuilding and correcting their relationship and getting back together the way that the primo comes back to the house it's like he's overly confident that he will be able to repair this relationship. It seems to me. Yeah, yeah. He he returns kind of like nothing ever happened. Yeah, he wants to downplay everything that happened. He says sorry, but it takes a little bit more than sorry to work the shit out. And finally, he realizes that there is much more hurt in there to be repaired that he can probably ever be able to fix but i perhaps kind of did buy it because by the end there is so many good things good sides that he sees about the new primo that that maybe they should just get together because they seem to be still very much having feelings towards each, each other and maybe this is now something after all that can can be fixed give it a try a second go but a lot of hurt was done yeah i i really don't know about giving it a go anymore because i when it comes to characters i i felt that george's character and this is kind of once again something where film wants to tell you very ha- like handheldly one thing while I felt something else but film wants to show you that that George is kind of broken inside because she and Primo have broken up 
and that 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 has kind of made George well well not evil and not mean but well cold a cold person uh, the, the film imposes this on you by the way how George dresses up with the fact that she uses blue colored contact lenses that give her a kind of an icy stare oh boy constantly yeah a little stop there because I thought those look really horrible on her she looks really cold yeah yeah she does and as as you know that the the feelings between them the two of them start to warm up and George starts to more kind of think the possibility of taking Primo back. She starts to use the contact lenses less. She wears her business attire less and her, her demeanor kind of changes. She starts to soft, uh, soften up as a person, which once again is the film telling you that, that she too is healing. Mm. And the, the the result of, of that healing process would be that George would realize that she should take Primo back. And at the same goddamn time as, as this is going on, on a visual and tech, uh, contextual level in the film, I felt that George became a less interesting character. Like, I, I found that... In, I felt that George was more... She was kind of smarter, smarter. She was more witty. She was more fun to follow when she was wearing those contact lenses. And this became almost a, a con, kind of a narrative constructual point to me, where it was so that whenever George was wearing those contact lenses, that, as you pointed out, made, made her look so goddamn cold, but... Still, in those moments, I had most fun with George's, uh, with the character of George. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the most laughs and and the most jokes came from those moments. Uh, her rebuffs uh, against Primo's arguments were the sharpest and clearest on those moments. And and the and and the more she softened up as a character, the more boring she became. And it's 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 funny because the film also has this this gay best friend character in it, and the mm. gay best friend friend makes the remark that the George who is warm to Primo and the George who wants to get back with Primo is kind of the stupid George, and that's actually what happens in the film. That the more she wants to be with Primo, that the less witty and the lo- less counter-attacky she is. So... Of course. Though. Yeah. So, you know, she actually does become more stupid and more dull the more, you know, they, they, the two manage to fix their relationship. Yeah, when when Primo comes back to the, to the house, it's not quite like... On the level of in Crazy Beautiful You, where it's kind of the sexist jokes, like when they still don't totally meet eye to eye, the Padilla character is throwing casually these jokes like, oh, see you in my dreams. It's kind of on that territory when he <laughs> arrives there to the house. It, it kind of is. Yeah. And... It takes a long time in the film to repair this relationship. And it's some starting somewhere 
Well, it's already this kind of uh, dance starts around the 42 minutes mark when there's this disagreement about selling the house and they kind of take us back to the present day. And it takes like glorious one hour, 20 minutes to solve everything. And it's a long time. Um, I wasn't totally into it all the way through. And that the film is certainly dark. I felt like I was on an emotional roller coaster ride going through some of my past relationships. And this feels like the kind of a situation that you possibly cannot fix. And somehow it was hard to watch. This is the, the kind of film that I will not watch again. Okay. But, but, but at the same time, this was one of the more interesting ones of these films. Okay, uh, for me, it had nowhere near that strong emotional connection or effect. I, I do admit that The House of Us is, is the darkest of these films, but even, even with that acknowledgement, I didn't ha really have an emotional connection with the movie. Yeah, it's like they did something that you can't, in my opinion, repair and then it becomes kind of awkward to follow these characters almost like it was so bad and <laughs> what what are you going to do about it well well something you can do about it is finally remember that that you are also supposed to be a rom-com yeah. and start inserting hilarious comedic elements to the story for example with all the jokey jokes that primo you know, dishes out when they are when they are in Amsterdam. Oh yeah, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Those jokes. Yeah. Where does the hamster live? In a cage. What 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 do people in Amsterdam love to eat? Amsterdam and cheese. Quality jokes. I fucking god. <laughs> that was bad. It it was it was, but hey, at at least it tried, I guess. I mean, it it, it is the darkest of the rom coms, and and that <laughs> that was the 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 calm on rom com. Well, at least she is also like seriously. Well, at 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 least they didn't kiss during that that you know <laughs> boat going up in, uh, uh, under the bridge scene. Oh yeah, yeah. I was kind of expecting that, but. I, no. I, I, I was too, you know, judging by exactly how bad the films had been on, uh, you know, previously on, on <laughs> this deceased genre. And and that's something that I most definitely count as a win. <laughs> yeah. I would have actually appreciated the movie more. And, and I, I most likely I would have felt that this would have been more honest, more realistic film had the two not ended up together at the end of the film. Diabetic retinopathy is incurable, as is true love. Apparently, yeah, so, yes. Some plants grow better together. Okay, cookies. Special mention for an actor goes to... From my part, it, it actually goes to... The first film, film we talked about must be love It's. John Lapus, who plays the gay barber Tita Baby. <laughs> oh, wow. That is an unusual choice. 
Okay, but actually explain to me this whole thought process with your character. Uh, my my big essence stems from the fact that well, we have been watching rom coms, and I I felt that Tita Baby as a character best reached a seven a certain level of being an actual character in a rom com, still being. Well, I didn't laugh at any of her remarks, but there there was a kind of there there was an attempt. There was an attempt of of some type of a feeling and and spirit in in some of her lines, and I I felt that Lapus managed to, despite the fact of how bad the material was, I do think that Lapus managed to elevate it at least a bit. I thought her character was irritating. She's like the zombie lady who spends the f- maybe first 30 minutes of the film just being completely unresponsive. And I thought there's some kind of brain issues going on, but it's just something about her her feelings. She, she is completely the, the gay barber stereotype. That mm. is, is also something that these films love to depict like if you have a gay character it's going to be the gay barber gay or transsexual or whatever the case yeah whatever the case but but unless you are straight you know get to the barber shop please <laughs> uh but you know having go gone through five films worth of of stereotypes and cliches and and tropes and most of the time, me not really connecting with the two leads. Like mm-hmm. I, I know I'm supposed to be like uh, Daniel and Catherine gave the, be- the strongest performances and and whatnot. But most of the time, I didn't connect with them. I, I, I had a small connection in Must Be Love. No connection at all with she's dating the gangster. Not connection at all with crazy beautiful you. Uh, Barcelona. Well, well, you know, had she jump on the train tracks and had he come on and scooped the the corpse? Perhaps then, but not. Uh, in in how the house of us. I, I there I did have connection for the first half of the film. Are there any rom-coms that you specifically like? <laughs> or is this just rom-com hatred? Uh, it's, a, it's a combination, I must admit. Uh, <laughs> I don't like venomously hate rom-coms as a genre, but I do hate most of the rom-coms. There, there is this... this mm. Well, like these have been. Like, very formulaic, very surface level, not really doing anything, giving the wrong lessons, preaching about the, you know, the, the, how the, the first case you cast upon, you know, that, that's the sign of love. Love on the first side. Love conquers all, the power of love, messaging. I, I really do, I'm against rom-coms that, that can't do anything else, but, you know, beat that dead horse i think this would be complete dead horse films if the daniel padilla catherine bernardo would not be in this and bringing their chemistry here okay i i really didn't feel that Mm. i i i do understand that i'm supposed to see them as some kind of a saving case of these films (laughs) they are so cute they're so cute they are not they are not 
<laughs> well, so both leads are good to me, but uh, Catherine Bernardo cries the best, best. I mean, certainly gets some of her moments to shine in, in these films. She's quite natural from what I can tell. I don't speak, once again, Tagalog, but I get a very natural performance of them. She she has her definitive highlight in mm. in the first half an hour of of the House of Us when she fucking hates Daniel. Uh, yeah, and I would say also when she reads the letter and turns around. No, 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 no. To me, that was a dead moment. Yeah. I, I was like, get, please, 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 ready. Get yeah. get the blue contact lenses back. <laughs> But uh, not only can she convincingly cry, but I can buy her emotions are quite real when most of the time when she does that. Not all of the time. Acting next to the love of your life might help a little bit with that. But what resonated with you the most in these films? Uh, uh, Or one single most memorable experience? I kind of have two answers. For, for the uh, this one, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the, the or when it comes to the combination of these films, the the, the House of Us when it once again that the first half an hour when when the uh, relationship is the most damaged and and there is the sense of the emotional hurt that I felt was perhaps the didn't really resonate with me truly, but. I I felt that there perhaps we have reached a certain type of emotional high point of these fil- uh, five films. But if I'm supposed to kind of look these as as a whole, like what in the combination of five films resonated me most in total, I guess it would be all the uncomfortable and problematic shit that just happens in these films. Yeah, all of these films are really flawed in some of the ways that they have some plot points and then not going through with them or just drawing the wrong conclusions, like you said. In three adjectives, or yeah, let's go with three. In three adjectives, how would you describe the Gathniel films? Well, we are going with the new template, so I'm sticking with only one. Go ahead. Uh, You've been going with three recently, so I changed it. This is kind of cheap shutting for me but formulaic because these, these are i know i know i know we we dropped the accusation of, of films being formulaic in this podcast ever, ever so often but i i kind of have to stress out that in today's episode these are so formulaic these movies that in today today we have basically just landed upon the next film and the fir- one of the first things that we have done is being pointed out how the formula once again is at work. I have to agree with you on that. I would almost use the same word, means the same, manufactured. Because, as you said, they often follow this super predictable and safe plot structures. Yeah, man- manufactured. Uh, perhaps even better than, than formulaic. I would also say cute, because that, that's what they are. With the charm of the leads, I think these films are most definitely elevated. Remove those guys and pff, you have nothing. Dear Jerky, it's not a good adjective, it's a good adjective, but they most definitely are Dear Jerky. No doubt that is what they do. 
Did you shed any tears? No, no, <laughs> only out of boredom. <laughs> Would you consider to watch these Catnail films ever again? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> For me, though, somehow I, I liked watching this. But to be honest, there are so many of such films that I don't think I'll be watching these on my own again. I've got to move on. But if I ever needed to recommend romantic films from the Philippines specifically, sure, hey, okay, uh, I could recommend some Kathniel as, as a really effective time waster. And I can join in to watch it, okay, but, but that's about it. It's not like you really suffer watching this. It's a good time waster that we watched for over eight hours or something like this. Do you think the films have any staying power, legacy? Uh, me, personally, no. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they they do. Uh, Kathniel, as a relationship, may have, as, as long as the actors are alive. Uh, in, in Philippines, perhaps even longer, there's a, there's a chance, of course, that they will become one of the, the le legendary couples of, of Philippine um, cinema. But do the films themselves have staying power? I I don't see that one happening. I, on my end, uh, I think, yes, they will have people in the Philippines will be watching this and the nearby markets will be watching this. Those who get any Pinoy film circulation. These are, after all, now considered the, the box office queen and king. Uh, they are part of the Pinoy film history. So, yeah, I think so. I, I would almost recommend that you just get better films. <laughs> well, but like import them if, if you have to. You know, that they make movies in Hollywood. For, for 200 quid, I can come and, and, you know, direct you a film. <laughs> hint, hint, notch, notch. Rough ride for Pinoy films tonight. But would you recommend these films, Henrik? Uh, no. I, I I would not, and you know, for for today's episode, I actually went an an extra mile behind the scenes on on two separate occasions, just just in case, just in case that this is you know me being a man or or me not not getting rom coms or me me not liking the genre, just to avoid that on two different occasions. Those were. Uh, Case Beautiful You and Barcelona. I made certain that that I had... I checked out the films in, in with, with, you know, members of female sex. Hmm. So, so ladies were present checking these films with me. All of them. <laughs> All of them, god damn it. <laughs> and with some of them, some of them, mind you, sex was at least a possibility before... I put the film on. <laughs> and then the movie happened. And well well the sex didn't. Uh from from the you know this this academic research that I performed. <laughs> I have come to a hypothesis that it's not just me and it's not just me being a man and me not not you know getting the genre. No no it's also the ladies who don't like these movies. Oh come on! You you are just there being the analytical you and putting the film down and then 
I, I, I swear to God, I swear to God, I kept my mouth shut un- until they started to make remarks. Actually, I can believe that because I remember how you watch films in Kauhenue Festival. It's just, you're just completely locked in to the film. Nothing else exists than the film. And I really appreciate that. And that's, you go into this other world completely. So it yeah, seems and, to me. And, and this time around, I, I wanted to make sure, certain that I wouldn't start to sabotage the experience for, you know, <laughs> the, the other, other members of, of, of the audience in, in my home theaters <laughs> as, as we watched this. I, I like I I did understand that there's a there's a pretty big possibility that that me just you know not being the biggest fan of rom coms I would start to point out mistakes and badmouth the films and they that that way I would sour the film experience for the ladies so I I double checked that I keep my mouth shut shut at least as long until they start making rem- making you know remarks about the film. So I, 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 can, I can say that the lady started it. Uh, for me, this is where it gets a bit tricky. These are all still very, very average rom-coms for me, for sure. Without the charm of these leads, as I said, these films would be nothing. Must Be Love is perhaps even an overlong teenage triad drama that writes completely on its lead characters here. And I really, actually didn't really care for Lisa Soberano's performance as Angel. She seems really wooden as the kind of competing lady. Cute film, but objectively speaking, no recommendation. Uh, she's dating the gangster. Here we have these two plots intertwining, two tourist storylines. Um, as I said, the older actors destroyed the emotional buildup for me. They're just sitting on the bench there, you know, that's it. I think having the two storylines to begin with is quite unnecessary. I started to think about that you could could have kept essentially most of the events on the same storyline with ease. It, it seems like unnecessary gimmick to make the film feel richer. Something that Barcelona might do as well. Anyway, the past storyline is a bit more interesting. I don't entri- entirely feel this film, so no recommendation. Especially no recommendation for the end solution of uh, <clears throat> planting in a faked plane crash. Crazy Beautiful You, I thought, as I stated, kind of the funniest and maybe the most satisfying of these films. Not Nothing fancy, just stupid rom-com. Uh, cool location, proper triad competition for the lady. I don't care for the literal toilet humor, but... It might be the smoothest package. You have the simple arc, good, simple conflict, interesting locale, and my first Catnail film, so some bias is involved, most likely. But the film doesn't kind of yonder on with weird subplots, or it doesn't rush into its ending. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to recommend this. If you're into rom-coms, I think you'll have fun with Crazy Beautiful Hue. It's okay. Barcelona, a love untold. <clears throat> it rushes the ending. It has unresolved subplots. It falls asleep in the middle. It has nothing to do for maybe 30 minutes. And then the deuce is like, home sweet home. And living abroad is the work of the devil. No recommendation. 
The House of Us, the nice play on words here. Those contact lenses, big minus, they, she looks really angry and frightening. The idea is interesting, but the film is inherently depressing. Mm, I didn't like watching this film. I, I've been through these real-life breakups and <laughs> that lasted almost as, as long. And But Catherine Bernardo is being really good in this. Maybe it feels a little bit too real sometimes. Then we have the Let's Find Daddy subplot quest. A bit uninteresting and pasted in. And the end resolution is still, they're like, yay, we're together, but we lost the house thing. This is Catherine's acting, top notch, but this film just makes me tremendously sad. And like I said, I won't be watching it again. But okay, fuck it. I recommend it. It's an interesting study of how to, how you can overcome intense emotional hurt. Perhaps you can. That's two recommendations out of these films, and that's enough. Well, that's quite a lot. Must I know. <laughs> Complete the sentence, please. You really know you're watching catnail films. When? When the movie gets drunk and threatens to jump from the rooftop, unless you give it your passport. <laughs> okay. Um, you really know you're watching catnail films when love conquers all, including, but not limited to, your dream house, your expat life, lethal disease, and <laughs> hardcore misogyny. Well, it's been charming discussing rom-coms tonight here, Henry. <laughs> Sorry, Po. I, I, I'm certain that everybody has gained a lot from this experience. <laughs> Especially our listeners. Who must be on on, on 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 the heap of their joy at the moment, especially those in Philippines. Like I, I'm I'm dead certain that you have some friends who will check out this episode and and once again be extremely pissed with me, <laughs> and and mo most likely death threats are once starting to circulate again. But you know, hey, what what can I say? What, what can I say? Except, you know, for, for 200 quid, I can, I can come and make you a better rom-com, guys. What can I say, except that I think you have stolen your own passport in a way that you're making your entry to several countries even harder and harder. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much I'm willing to do in order order to act, at least get some enjoyment out of my passport. And you know, endorsing these films, this is just bridge too far. Any further thoughts, or would that be our next rom-com then? <laughs> I, 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 I guess the, the bridge to rom-coms has been temporarily burned. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Salamat Po, thank you for joining us. And we would like you to, of course, feel invited to continue this wonderful conversation online about <laughs> the Gatniel phenomena on our socialistic social media pages. What did you think of their films? As it might differ a lot from our views. Also, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Or, <laughs> on a hindsight, maybe don't. In the next episode, <clears throat> where is our voyeurism taking us?
I, I, I actually don't know. Would it be a doctor, a scientist, organist, biblical scholar, Dr. Anton Fibes? Well, I, I guess I also have to have to cancel my visa to Britain. But sure, why not? Yeah, he is the guy who seeks revenge in two films. The abominable Dr. Fibes and Dr. Fibes Rises Again. Both both car films, both also movies that I actually shamefully have never checked out before. So, you know, why not? I guess it's a high time for me to, to finally act, act, actually watch two, two horror films that some feel are the best of British horror. Okay, that's interesting. I thought you had seen these classics, but hell, this is gonna be fun. Or a flaming train wreck, who knows yet. Find out very soon. Now this would be hello, love, goodbye from the lab, and see you in a fortnight. Oh, until then. And, and and the audience is like <laughs> fucking a one for the team. Smelly sweat beast and really ugly and smells real bad. She could single-handedly create her own dead sea. <laughs> please, 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 lady, get get the blue contact lenses back. <laughs>